Hi everybody, and welcome back to Ornate Stairwells, a movie podcast. I'm Autumn, I'm joined as always by Nia. Hi, I'm Nia. And we have an announcement to do, so I'm going to do that right up here at the top. Um, so, <clears throat> the, sa- the Sight and Sound poll hit recently. The Every decade they do uh, the big poll. You've probably seen discourse about it on Twitter. For Big upset. Big upset. Um, Citizen Kane had been winning for 70 years. Ten years ago, Vertigo won, and now, uh, ten years later, um, Jean Dielman um, has beaten that, um, which I think is an improvement, because I think Vertigo sucks. Never yeah. seen Jean Dielman. I'll probably try to knock that out. This I've not seen Jean Dielman. We are talking about the poll, and we can talk about the poll soon. I want to get to our announcement first. Okay. We talk about sight and sound in a minute. I want to just front load at the very beginning so that I can point listeners to this later if we need to um this is episode 68 i'm just gonna remember that in my head here so inspired by the sight and sound poll inspired by the fact that despite them saying we're gonna send out more ballots they send out like 2,000 ballots you and me we didn't fucking get ballots pretty homophobic of them pretty homophobic <laughs> so we decided it might be fun in the month of january um and in the month of January, we are going to poll all of you. Um, I'll make a link for it soon, and there will be a Google form. And you, dear listeners, will be able to write in a list of your 25 favorite movies. Those will all go in a spreadsheet, and I'll tally up the votes. And we will make a like the Ornate Stairwells audience list of the 25 best movies ever made. Yeah, or we might not do all 20... like. We'll do, I think we're doing 25 for people to, to write their list. But yeah. then we'll look at the numbers and decide. If it's like a 40-way tie for 25th, then we won't, you know, we'll cut it yeah. off at 20 or something, you know. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure out what feels appropriate. Or if it's like, oh, yeah, then 25 is just a whole bunch of ones that were number like, had two votes and then everything else. Yeah, We have, like, exactly. a good, like, 15 that has, like, a bunch of votes or something. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll figure, figure it, out. it out. Um... But yeah, so look forward to that in January. I will, excuse me, I've made a Google form. I will make a fun little like export odd.io slash poll um, closer to the start of January. I just wanted to announce it here. I did a very long write-up of everything um, that you could possibly want to know about the poll at the top of that form that you'll be able to read once that's out. Um, And... The thing that I want to say here, because it's more of a conversation that I think you and me need to have and that the listeners do need to be privy to, because I there's We're... one clause of this that I tried to write out, but I feel like in the spirit of is that we need to have a conversation about it. Um, yeah, my feeling when you were writing it out is like. Because we're we're trying to talk about doing some sort of like broad definition of what a film is, yes, and or like what a movie is, and anything that's going to be like nice, like even concise or fairly long. Here's the explanation of what we're doing at this poll mm-hmm. is like naturally going to be more weird and like forcing us to be limited in ways that we don't necessarily intend, or we just like have to workshop the exact phrasing for like. A year. Right. Or, you know, not a year, but like, I have a job where sometimes like we have to workshop phrasing for things to go in a catalog Mm -hmm. to explain to someone how a product works concisely Mm -hmm. um, in industrial supply. And it's like, 
we will talk for weeks about how to phrase something sometimes. And I don't want to do that. I want to just have the, I want people to hear like the basic conversation and then they know what we want to say without us having to find the exact way to write it. So you might be asking, what is a movie? Which I'm always asking this, (laughs) which when I say it maybe sounds silly, but like this has been a point of discourse over the last few years. You know, I remember um, like there were episodes of Game of Thrones that were airing in movie theaters to sort of drum up hype. Does that make those episodes of Game of Thrones films? Is Twin Peaks The Return a movie? Is random YouTube video that you really like? Is Gargura singing Plastic Love more important to you and your life than any movie that you've ever seen? Yeah. And so for a time, I was like... And like, also, this is not even that new of a... Like... Yeah. The whole is the 18 parts of Twin Peaks The Return a movie is just, is the miniseries Brillin Alexander Plots a movie? Is Le Vampire a movie? Movies? A TV? Proto-TV? Uh, yeah, a proto-TV show? Yeah. yeah. So, we, I, I We briefly... want to have the space for people to... A thing that I was talking to you when we were talking about this is, is immortality a movie? Yeah. And I think within my way that I think about it, that is a movie in the way that a lot of other video games aren't. Because there's, like, a certain amount of, like, scripted, uh, like, a lot of FMV games, I think, are falling more into what I would think of as movies, which is that, like, the thing that you're seeing was pre-generated. There's maybe a way that you're interacting it. It's encouraging you to, like, interact with the DVD menu, quote-unquote. Yeah. And, like, really in-depth and more complex than a DVD will even give you away. Yes. Um, but then that's still distinct from, like you boot up Skyrim and then everything that you're seeing is being like real time generated in reaction to what you're doing. Yes. There's, there's Skyrim is rendering images on your end. Whereas immortality, the images were rendered by creators. Yes. They were still like composed and conceived of. And then for the purpose of you being able to like mess with them and explore them in certain ways. But like, even make my video Marky Mark and the Fun- Funky Bunch is kind of a movie to me. Or at least a music video. Right. So, I there was a moment where I wanted to say, if it's on Letterboxd, it counts. And then I was like, but I have so many problems with what's on Letterboxd and what's not. Yeah, we don't want to make them the arbiter for us. So. Like, because like, in my head, like, I, if it's on Letterboxd and I've seen it, I log it. But when I go to Letterboxd, and every time I see that one of my top-rated movies is Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, I'm like, that's not correct. That is a 64-episode yeah. television show that I watched. Yeah. And I did log it, but that's not a movie in my head. But it, just to, like, just to flatten the playing field, just to not have to have, like, granular discussions, if you, dear listener, want to write in and say that Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood is your favorite movie... I'm not going to stop you. Yeah. What I Here's what I am going to say. When you do your submission, you need to have title, parentheses, year, comma, director, or perhaps creator, um, Gargura, um, YouTube channel. You got to have like a, yeah. a, a, an author figure uh, of a some... A video collective or video game collective or, you know. You got to have like someone there... For the pure, like, reason of, like, I don't want to figure out what version of Night of the Living Dead you mean. 
if I have to think for even two seconds about which version of something you mean, I'm not counting your vote. <laughs> that That is the hardline rule. So yeah. title, parenthesis, year, comma, director, close parentheses. If there ain't a comma, I'm not counting it. And if, if there's various, ver- like, if you're just like Blade Runner, Ridley Scott, that's here. fine. I don't need that's you to... fine. I don't need specificity unless you are like know very specifically the final cut. Yeah. Or I want to specifically say the theatrical version. I think the theatrical version is the best version and the rest aren't. Which or whatever. Which feel then, free to make those claims. Feel free to put those in your little submissions. I might lump it in with any other Blade Runner votes, but I will appreciate that you have done this. Yes. And we and we might also call out that we got like a specific like, if yes. multiple people said a Blade Runner and they were different versions, we might note that there's, like, contention around what the, yes. vi- the version is. Which leads us to the other thing that you suggested, which is that if you want to submit Devil May Cry 3, you're like, yeah. Devil May Cry 3 is my favorite movie. You're allowed to do that. You have to email us and say why you think <laughs> Devil May Cry 3 is a movie. Yeah. You have to... Also, as part of this, we'll be getting everybody's email addresses. That's just so that people can only vote once. I don't... I just think it would be less fun if someone was like, I really need Devil May Cry 3 at the top of the list, so I'm getting, like, ten different email addresses and putting De- Devil May Cry 3 on all of them. Um... So, so if you really think that this edge case that you have in mind is a movie and you want it to count, I'll let you do it, but you have to write us an email and you have to be okay with me reading your bullshit on air. <laughs> yeah. You can, you can send the email and have us read it anonymously. That's fine. Yes. I don't have to say, Joel thinks Devil May Cry 3 is, an, a video, is a movie because he wanted to troll us. I'll, do, I'll leave your name out if you ask me to. But I do have to, like, I'll read it on air, and you will, your ears will be burning. You will feel ashamed. <laughs> and that's between you and well, Jesus. Like, un- I- <laughs> unless you have an interesting, compelling thing about why you think Devil May Cry 3 is a video game, and then I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Everybody agrees Devil May Cry 3 is a video game. Sorry, a movie. <laughs> <laughs> my brain just can't, my, my brain personally can't make the leap to Devil May Cry 3, the video game is a movie. <laughs> there are lots of games where it can yeah not that one yeah so that will um that will run through the months of january like i say um i'm gonna reread the form i made and make sure there's no spelling errors or nothing i want to add maybe i'll do currently right now it's just like 25 short answer fields maybe i'll Mm -hmm. put like a long answer field at the bottom so that in that long answer field you can justify any out there choices you don't have to write us a separate email yeah yeah we can do that yeah so we can have um, like an optional additional context or whatever yeah yeah so um i might i'm gonna touch that up and i will make probably export odd.io slash poll or perhaps stairwell stairwells poll we'll see um, that's P-O-L-L, not P-O-L-L-E. I'll, we'll figure it out, and we'll um, promote it a little more toward the end of the month. I just wanted to announce that here. I also just wanted to announce it here so that, you know, in um, future episodes, we can plug it and just be like, go back and listen to episode 68 if you did if you missed that, you know? Yeah. Um, anything else you want to say about that? Um, yeah, I think the, the poll will probably go up beginning of january yeah but we figured we would announce it now too so people can start making their list if they want yes yes 
you can even though you can't submit it yet, there's no one stopping you from, you know, making your list on Letterboxd so that once I start sending it out, pe- you can just, you know, plug everything in and not worry about it. Now, are we also voting in this poll? I plan to. Okay. The, the we're, only reason... we're not we're not like weighted. We're just also going to vote. Yes. Oh, that's another thing I should say. Unranked list. It's yes. not. So I used to do this exact sort of thing with um when I used to hang out on forums as a teenager, and we would do ranked lists, and it often encouraged people to put things at number one that maybe weren't their favorite movie, but they're like, well, no one else is going to say this, and so I'm going to put it at the top of my list. You know, um, and obviously in in any of these things, there's going to be an element of strategic voting, but I think doing an unranked list sort of discourages that. So yeah, if you mention something, it gets a point. If you, if you put Blade Runner on there four times, Blade Runner gets one point, you know, you don't get, you know, yeah, you, there's no way of waiting this. So just pick 25 distinct things. Yeah. <clears throat> But yeah, the the whole reason I made this is because I wanted to make... So the Sight and Sound poll went out, and I was trying to make a list of my 10 favorite movies, and I tweeted it on Locked because I was I was kind of grumpy at the end of the exercise, and granted, I also had a migraine that day. But I was kind of grumpy at it because I was like, well, I made my 10 favorite movies, and I, can't, I don't really want to change the list, but this doesn't feel true to my taste in a lot of ways because my 10 favorite movies is a lot of, like, serious movies. But my 25 favorite movies, like Godzilla Final Wars is on there. Yeah, my 25 favorite movies might include Micro Commando Diatron 5. Yeah, my fi- my 25 favorite movies might include Micro Commando Diatron 5. Yeah. Like, because <laughs> once you get to 25, there is just sometimes you're like, the thing is, I have watched Micro Commando Diatron 5 many, many times. I've shown it to many, many people. It was yeah. technically the first movie that we watched. Yes. So, like, <laughs> like, Telling you about my taste is not complete unless I put both Godzilla 1955 and Godzilla Final Wars on the list. Both of those things have to be on the list, but that just doesn't make any sense when I can only do 10 movies, you know? And so I wanted to do 25 movies because I wanted to make my own list. And then I was like, oh, well, wouldn't it be fun to get the listeners involved? Yeah. Um, But in 10 years for the 2032 Sight and Sound poll, when we will be included, starting that now... Going to be hammering it for the next 10 years. BFI, we need our fucking ballots in 2032. Yeah. Swear to God. Uh, also, because this is going to take a while. So in the interim, whoever listens to this podcast who works at the Music Box and sometimes pulls ideas yeah. for things to screen, please just give us like a monthly double feature slot or something. It doesn't even have to be or, monthly. Yeah, doesn't even, you could just give us one. Yeah. Double feature slot. Or like Export let us audio do a podcast at gmail.com. Like it's just like the, the ornate stairwells, like for a month, like we get to pick like maybe five movies that kind of show throughout that month. Yeah. Give us a weekend. Yeah. Just do it. Come on. Email us. We know you're listening. Export audio podcast at gmail.com. We know that you're running your ideas up the chain and we need you to just email us. So um those are the two drums that we're going to spend the next 10 years beating. Yeah. The thing is, I do think, even beyond the the music box conspiracy, mm-hmm. the grand music box conspiracy that we have, mm-hmm. I do think that there's a chance that if we like really did push for it, we could, we could actually do some programming at the music box at some point. Yeah. 
Um, so something I admire about the range touch crew is their willingness to just be like, we need all of our listeners to tweet at Mick Garris to get him to come on the podcast. I don't ha- I have too much social anxiety to encourage you to do that, but maybe in 2023, I'm going to be like, listeners, if you want to come to the, uh, to the music box, please tweet at them. Hey, you should let, uh, Autumn and Nia do some programming at your theater. Yeah. I maybe. mean, if you, if you live in Chicago, yeah. Uh, and you listen to this podcast, and just the mood strikes you. Tweet at the music go box. And, go ahead and tweet at the music box. <laughs> Tell them that you, you think that they should have us do some programming. Yeah. But put exportodd.io slash ornate stairwells in your tweet so they know what the hell you're talking about. Or just at us. I don't know. I mean, they already know because they already listen. But, they do know because they listen. Yeah. It's but, a, it, but also include the link just so that they have the... They can save face and pretend like they didn't know. It's 100% the person listening to the podcast who works at the Music Box is 100% their social media person. So, like. Yeah. I'm just doing a hand gesture, which I realize doesn't play on the podcast. Anyway, um, that's it for poll stuff. Um, we had a shit week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's so... a high energy uh, uh, intro. And now we got to come down because this is a, this we, has been a rough week. We recorded Friday, right? We recorded Friday. Okay. Um, I think I had a kind of normal weekend. I mean, it was a little busy. I've been kind of stressed. I talked about it before with like work and um, I have to read all of Nana, which I love reading Nana. It's just I'm cramming it in a way that uh, I'm having to cram it more than I thought that I was going to with the way that I time stuff out. But mm. um. Some of it is just other stuff has come up and I still haven't like fully gotten the intuitive sense of how much prep for around the long fire is going to take. Mm-hmm. So that was also part of it. Um, I'm just, I'm just fixing a very minor formatting thing. Don't you worry about me. Okay. Oh yeah. The, that's an, mm-hmm. I don't know why it doesn't save it. Yeah. You I don't know tell it are. constantly to do this. And then anyway, it anyway, yes. Um, Anyway, uh, so all, all that stuff that I kind of talked about last time, it's just been happening. I talked on the last po- podcast about how I was stressed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how I wasn't really having time to do a lot of things like watch movies and all that. That was kind of mm-hmm. there. And I, part of the things that I was trying to focus on was like making progress on the, the Gundam. Uh-huh. We watched a single episode of Gundam this week. Nope. Um... Basically, the only free time that I've spent on doing anything is just basically podcast prep. It's yeah. been reading for along the around the long fire, recording podcasts, and reading Nana. Yeah, it's been basically every time that I have like a moment. Yeah. Um. Because what happened was Sunday night, my my uh, so there's this uh disease called RSV. Uh, that. If you are an adult, you just have, like, cold-like symptoms. Mm -hmm. But for children, it can be pretty uh, intense, and it has been uh, going around. I mean, it's essentially like a mild pandemic of that right now Uh (laughs) in the United States. In addition to COVID's not gone yet, and lots of other things. Uh, And, of course, since it uh, particularly affects kids, it runs around daycares. So my toddler got it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It came on fast. Um. They were having some trouble breathing. We now know through the the pediatrician that so we have a spacer 
like a pediatric spacer for inhalers and I just have inhalers because I have asthma that we can just give that as like a initial treatment and see if that helps at home um, if that comes up. But I didn't know. Yeah. In the moment if like we should be doing that or not. Yeah. Um, so we ended up spending we went to the ER because there's no urgent care like the you know pediatricians not open at night when it, this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did not get home and lay into, in my own bed to go to sleep. Like I was laying down into my bed to fall asleep at 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also one of those things where when you stay up, like your body goes into, well, I guess I have to be awake mode. So I just laid in bed for a while trying to fall asleep because I was stressed. Yeah. Um, so I have all that work stuff, but then I'm not going to wake up at six uh-huh. or seven and and start work. Uh-huh. Um, so I took a day off. I was planning. I fucking needed it. So I took a day off intending to come over here and help you out. But then I had such an intense migraine all day Monday that I was basically laid up in bed for six hours. Yeah. So, yeah, that was great. <laughs> yeah. Um, You did help out Tuesday, which is great because I then got into my work on Tuesday um right let me let me tell let me tell the listeners about tuesday so monday i'm laid up in bed with a migraine all day i came over monday evening to watch twin peaks because we were going to watch two episodes of twin peaks and then tuesday i felt better and you were back at work emily was back at work toddler was obviously not at daycare so i came over early in the day and helped um helped with them played with them all day we had a we had a great day um, and, and this was, then, aside from that first night with the breathing issues really hitting, um, usually the worst day for RSV is like day four. Yeah. So, um, it was like Wednesday that they were just laid the fuck out. Yeah. But, but, but Tuesday they had a little energy, not too much. We had a very nice day during your lunch break. We watched one more episode of Twin Peaks and then you left work and I went to work <laughs> and worked from yeah. six to midnight. And I had a pretty nice day at work because for most of that time we were closed and just cleaning and bullshitting. But I did take care of the kid all day. <laughs> yeah. And then leave from that to go to work and then got back to work Wednesday morning, worked for two hours. Uh, no, was supposed to work for two hours, worked for three hours, then had a two hour meeting that was supposed to be a 90 minute meeting. Then. Um, I was supposed to go back on the floor, but I ended up having to just do somebody else's admin job that they'd been supposed to do on Tuesday, but they didn't, so then I had to do it, and I ended up staying 20 minutes late, and then you had asked me for some stuff for, for toddler, and so I ran to the store where my wife works, picked up groceries for you, came here, went back to the store where my wife works, bought groceries for me, Picked up my wife, because by then she was clocking out of work. <laughs> yeah. And then we went home, and I fucking crashed on the couch. Yeah. Thursday, I spent all day working on podcasts. Basically, from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to sleep, other than getting high and watching Game Awards, which is not as restful as I wanted it to be. <laughs> not zero restful. New Armor Core, though. New Armor Core. I haven't played any of the other armor core, so it doesn't really mean anything to me. But I, I think was... I think on this pod, it was a while ago, but I told the story of my friend who borrowed it and then ruined the disc. You did tell the story, yeah. yeah. Um, unforgivable. And then Friday, uh, which is today, 
I came here early as I could in the morning, took care of Toddler most of the day. You also took care of Toddler most of the day, despite being at work. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, just been burning the candle at both ends this week. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I got into work Tuesday, mm-hmm. um, which I was supposed to go into the office, but you, I was not going to do that. Right. With the sick the toddler thing. and me getting what is like I have RSV two right mm. now. You might have it. You had a little bit of a cough. Uh, Emily has it, but again, for adults, it's like a cold. Right. It's not that serious. I've got a little bit if because of my asthma, I can kind of feel it in my lungs. But um, otherwise, I think I would just be like, "Oh, I got the sniffles." Here's the here's the other thing about Tuesday <clears throat> is that I got here around ten thirty in the morning. I don't think you spoke to me until your lunch break. Yeah, I think I, you looked think, at me once. <laughs> yeah, I think like once, like because also I've had so much stress, like whatever the stress hormone is yeah that your body has yeah it's just been like constantly in my veins for like it was like in my veins for like three days straight basically right um and so i think also like i don't know how often you look but i was just like constantly like my leg bouncing and then i would just get to this moment where i'm just like i can't like be in the chair right now like i'm thinking still about what i need to like do yeah it's at the part where i have to think about something so i don't need to be typing into like a keyboard and so i'd stand up and just like suddenly pace around Uh and like go to the kitchen and like get some water or something yeah and then like come and then you would be looking at me and i would just look at you i think with just like the most dead stressed (laughs) eyes and then just go sit back down i didn't recognize you that day straight up um (laughs) you were you were in another fucking place (laughs) yeah uh it's like that one day is how i felt a lot at my old job at the law firm so uh-huh. i'm glad that was just one day like that but yeah that was me like constantly sometimes yeah um but yeah I, I got into work uh after missing a day and today is when i was supposed to have like a bunch of stuff done for what i've been working on for months um and there's the, these two suppliers who i had outstanding quotes from i have been uh just badgering them and badgering them. And last week I was like this, like end of this week, if you don't have it to me, we just can't do these product additions. Like, you're just not going to get money from us. That's mm. like, I'm just have to say this because mm. I'm wrapping this up. So of course, at that point I then get them back, but not on Friday. I mm. said this to them like that Tuesday of that week or something. I get mm. them both like, well, one I think was super late Friday. The other one was on Monday. Um, but anyway, I get them both back, but I'm not looking at them until Tuesday then. And I look at them and both of them are just like, shit. You're right. They're just bad. Yeah. It's not going to work for what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I had to make, like, snap decisions about them. Uh, there's one where there's this other supplier who's, like, great and responsive. Um, and we didn't want to go with them for a product because it wasn't going to, like, mesh as well with some of the products that we already have. But did technically have something that would, like, fill that hole in our catalog as well. And so I just, like, full, like, the most business I've ever been. The most, like, like, my manager, I feel like, can just, like, call up people and just be, like, smooth and chill and talk to people and be like, this is what I need. Can you get this to me? Blah, blah, blah. I just, like, was fully in the stress mode where I just channeled all of that. So I'm just calling up. I'm like, you know, hey, Josh, blah, 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 blah. Can you do this and this? It was... <laughs> I made you, so many phone calls. You sounded like a robot on each and every one of those phone calls. Yeah. Also, I felt so bad because during one of the phone calls... So, 
you're making this like serious business phone call and i'm like trying to get like your toddler out the door i was like let's just go take a walk around the block for a little bit you know um we'll go grab you a smoothie and we'll just go walk a little bit um and you're trying to make this phone call and the toddler is just like i don't want to go on a walk can i show you this cool toy autumn can i show you this cool toy and it's just like ah in the background of you thing, making a phone call the thing is i feel like those headsets are really good at noise isolation uh-huh. so it was probably okay but um <laughs> no and so like yeah i that was the biggest because i was like there's stuff that i need to turn around like not even like by the end of today but like literally as soon as i fucking can get this turned around i need to get it turned around because this is going to rely on like us getting a different person to do a quote or whatever. Uh, so yeah, I was just extremely stressed that day. The next two days were a little bit better, but it was still me like, okay, I have to like shift plans that I have, I have had for these things. I need to like rewrite stuff, blah, blah, blah. So I have to like prepare these final deliverables, which are these like documents that you just give to higher ups to explain everything that you're doing, but in a nice concise way, Right. which then just means you spend weeks making that document. It's kind of a waste of time, but it saves their time, so... Um, well, and they're more valuable than you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I I then just, like, I was in full stress mode and just, like, eh, doing... And I needed it done by the end of the day today, and I finished it by the end of the day yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, a, a day early, I was so, like, amazed with myself that I, I did that. Today was so much more chill because it was all done. But then, uh, so I finished everything... I'm like, I'm done. Uh, there's something that my boss has to check in on. Uh, I get in, like, he was working slightly later than me. Um, cause I think he just works different hours. Um, not like he was staying late. Uh, and he had messaged, he had like sent me a message, um, you know, shortly after I clocked out being like, Oh, I just heard back from this other department and like, they're not going to have the work that they need to have done for this. So we have to postpone the like meeting that these things are for a week. So we don't need the deliverables done for a week <laughs> so all of that and then i you i have another had another week i have another week to do it yeah so but at this point i'm just gonna like do the little work orders which are easy yeah so uh, especially at this point because the one nice thing about this like final deliverable thing is the new way that they're doing stuff i can just easily copy and paste stuff from that into the work order instead of having to write every single thing from scratch so that's nice but anyway all that to say, I basically had no time to watch anything. I had time to watch stuff for podcasts, but that was it. I did intentionally today, like at like 3 p.m., watch mm. two things. Yeah. Um, you can tell me about those, but before we get into our usual segment one, I'm going to step out and grab a glass of water because I need one. Yeah. Some weight, maybe. 
while I was up, I did do... So I watched one movie that I put in the spreadsheet. And you watched one movie. I did do some other, like, movie-adjacent things that I could talk about a little bit. Movie-adjacent things? So one of them was that after our conversation, I put on the Dario oh, Argento yeah. version of Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Um, I watched about 30 minutes of that, and I was like, oh, I do like this. I like this quite a bit. I think the Goblin soundtrack really works for this. Um, I think it's really funny to just watch Italian people screaming at each other a lot. Um, I liked that version of Dawn of the Dead a fair amount. Uh, Not enough to watch more than 30 minutes. (laughs) As I then turned it off and um, had a bunch of podcast work to get done. And so I just put on Tokyo Drifter and periodically like glanced up at it and be like, still Tokyo Drifter. Oh, I'm going to watch the whole bar fight. All right, back to just doing my work. (laughs) Um, uh, And so that was a lot of fun. The other um, things that I've watched have been um, 
I listened to a commentary that George Romero did about Dawn of the Dead. That ends up coming up a bunch in our Land of the Dead episode of Pardon My Franchise. Yeah. Um, ExportOdd.io slash franchise. So I won't say too, too much about those commentaries. Just that watching, listening, because I didn't really watch it. I didn't log into my letterbox because I didn't watch. I just listened. Yeah. Um, but listening to Romero and Tom Savini uh, talk about Dawn of the Dead gave me a new appreciation for it. I still, all the things that I said on on this podcast and on Pardon My Franchise, I stand by those things. I think all my complaints about the movie are still there. But it was just like, I, I listened to that and had a new appreciation for certain elements of Dawn of the Dead. Particularly the, the like independent and highly improvised nature of the movie. I complained a lot about the inconsistency of like what the movie is going for, like tonally. That makes sense when you like the movie is seems almost entirely improvised. Yeah. You know? Um or 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 improvised within a, a loose structure that the script sets out, you know? Uh the the script setting out like Okay, there's the new station, there's the apartment raid, um, then they're going to get to the mall, and once it gets to the mall, it's just going to get really freeform, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I was like, especially after watching Land of the Dead, where you don't feel that at all, you feel Land of the Dead is very, of the 2000s, very, like, very, a kind of homogenized movie, and it, that's a little harsh, but I'm I'm gonna couch that statement and stuff that I say I'm part of my franchise because that is both like the problem with that movie and its strength, you know. Yeah. So you can listen to that podcast if you want more of that info. But sort of contrasting what Land of the Dead is against what Dawn of the Dead was, I was like, oh, I can appreciate this movie more as a like culturally important thing, even if it didn't make me like the movie as much you know yeah but it's it's kind of funny that i had that from listening to the commentary and then just watching some of the argento version and liking the movie more and you sort of like smash those things together and i guess <laughs> i'm not like a dawn of the dead fan now but like I, I i get it i get it i'll say after we like recorded everything and stuff i this moment where i was thinking about Dawn of the Dead, and I was like, because when I think about Dawn of the Dead, so much of it is just like the special effects and like uh, having fun with the tonal shifts. Yeah. Like just leaning into that's what this movie is, is it's just going to shift tones constantly. And I was like, I wonder if this is a movie where if we watched it and I, we were just hooting and hollering like we sometimes do, would you have a different feeling about it? Maybe. Maybe. I still just Cause, think... Because I'm just going to be the person who's just going to be, like, popping off constantly about weird practical effects stuff. I mean, I just felt that I... The the joy of the practical effects, I just felt more with Night and Day, you know? Like, I absolutely see why Dawn... I'm not, I'm not knocking Dawn. I'm just saying that, like, Night and Day also have that and their movies that I enjoy more, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess that kind of covers, like, Nora and I did an episode of Pardon My Franchise last night about Land of the Dead. That will be out 
two days after you're hearing this podcast. So I think that I think that recording came out really good. Um, and so I don't really want to say too much about land, particularly because you haven't heard it yet. And maybe when you hear it, you'll be like, you'll have thoughts and we could talk about it. I don't yeah. know if you've seen that movie, have you? I may have. But um, there's I have no special place in my heart for the 2000s Romero, even though I think I've seen some of them, if not all of them, um, in the way that I just do for the like early stuff. Mm-hmm. There's just like a like Night of the Living Dead is just genuinely one of my favorite horror movies ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think that the other movies are lesser movies, but I like them a lot. Mm. Um. Night of the Living Dead still the best of the whole series so far. Yeah. I understand why not Nora likes Day better. I respect that. But Night is just... Man, Night of the Living Dead is so good. Yeah. But some may say it's like Night and Day. You get, do you get it? Oh, oh, you know what? Nora... Um, one of the things I did in my little research adventure bet- between um, our Day of the Dead and Land of the Dead episodes for part of my franchise was that I re-listened to an episode of Just King Things that touches on Creepshow, which is another George Romero-directed movie. Um, and Nora <laughs> Nora on the podcast was like, oh yeah, you had beef with that. And I never actually said what that was. I'll say it here. I imagine there's a lot of crossover between the audience of that podcast and this podcast, so... If you hear that podcast in two days and you're like, what's the beef, Nora? What's the beef Autumn had with uh, just King Things? Here it is. So, Well, now you're going to hear that episode and you're going to be like, oh, I know what that beef is. Yeah. So so um, on the Creepshow episode, Creepshow, uh, 1982 movie coming out like right smack in the middle between um, <clears throat> dawn and day. And... Um, Cameron, um, and this has influenced my own process, Cameron uh, went through and listened to a commentary track about Creepshow and all the things about the financing of Creepshow. Um, It's interesting, on the Land of the Dead episode, I I end up talking about how the Dawn of the Dead commentary ends up being really informative about the production of Land of the Dead because of when it's recorded. You can go listen to that episode to find out what I mean by that. Um, But... And similarly, Creepshow is a really informative thing to listen to to find out more about the production of Day of the Dead, it sounds like. Because what here's what happens with Creepshow. Dawn of the Dead comes out. It's a hit. Romero, um, Romero's production company strikes a deal with a distributor for a three-picture deal. First, they do Night Riders, which is a passion project of um, Romero. Then they do Creepshow... Which um, they do, which they think is more likely to be a success because it's based on Stephen King, and Stephen King is the hotness in town right now. And then um, they they decide to do Day of the Dead last out of the three pictures. And the Romero's idea, as he explains in the Creepshow commentary, apparently is we could sort of like borrow money a little bit from the Day of the Dead budget a little bit because because the production the the distributor really just wanted the dawn of the dead sequel and so we could spend extra money on creep show or night riders and say well you got to give us that money because you want to um day of the dead to happen right 
And then the story that he tells, the story he tells when he's talking about Day of the Dead is that that movie was going to be $7 million, but it had to be R-rated. So he decided to not get it rated at all and cuts the budget to $3 million. The story he tells when talking about Creepshow is that Creepshow went wildly over budget, and so they slashed the budget of Day of the Dead. Those are not necessarily mutually exclusive stories, but they're a little contradictory. Um, <clears throat> and the last thing <laughs> that Cameron says in all this is that, well, you can really tell because Day of the Dead, oh, that's just not, no one really, that, that movie wasn't very good. It's clearly like this compromised thing. Cameron, you fucking wrong about this. <laughs> Day of the Dead is one of the best horror movies ever made. Are you fucking kidding me? Calling Day of the Dead a compromise that no one wanted to be made? Fuck off! <laughs> Day of the Dead! It's incredible! Yeah. It's one of the best... Bub salutes that guy! <laughs> it's a great movie! There's the there's the doctor called Logan, and the, the zombie called Bub. It's a joke! It's great! This has nothing to do with the budget, but the special effects on that movie are fucking nuts. Yeah. Which is they have to do with the budget. Anyway. I just I just had beef. Calling Day of the Dead a compromise that no one was happy with. I just I just think that's not true. Romero is while watching Day of the Dead in that commentary, very effusive about how much he loves Day of the Dead. I I just think they're wrong on this one. <laughs> yeah. So that's the beef that I had. Nia, well, you watched... You go. You go. Well, you were talking, you had a thought. Yeah. So in repertory screenings, one, uh, if people listen to me talk about everything everywhere all at once, mm -hmm. um, you can go listen to the repertory screenings episode about it now. It's also out. Um, it's the it same was very funny listening to it <laughs> because the conversation's like slightly different, but me and M in particular have the exact same take. <laughs> the the one difference is that I got tired of the everything bagel idea basically instantly, and M liked that one. <laughs> but also both of us are agreed that there are some interesting aesthetics around it. I just hated the aesthetics kept then having people say the everything bagel or whatever. Uh-huh. I just wanted it to be a cool, weird portal thing mm -hmm. and not have to explain it as an everything bagel. But anyway, uh, that was like, the, this is the only difference between me and him. <laughs> Everything <laughs> else, we are like perfectly aligned. It's so it's funny. It's really funny how the three of them and then you and me have the same conversation, yeah. except that I didn't watch everything everywhere all at once. I watched <laughs> Eternals. <laughs> yes. Anyway, uh, on that, there, there's some great, uh, they got a lot of listener engagement on that one. They got uh -huh. some great questions. It was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and one of the questions was your favorite like line read that's just a single word mm -hmm. in a movie. Mm -hmm. This is not a movie, but I thought of one. But do you think that the same word repeated twice counts? What is it? Hit me. So in the Futurama episode with Wade Boggs, uh, great 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 grandson or whatever. Yeah. Um, there's the part where they're like, at least you're, uh, still the worst football player of all time. <laughs> and then he goes, and I've quoted this so many times. It's like the most quoted thing that I, I've ever, like, I just say, which is just, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> so do you think that counts? It's, yeah. It's, it's technically two words, but it's the same is, word twice. Is this the Hank Aaron one? Is that who you're thinking of? Oh, As yeah. As he's going into the baseball Yeah, no, Hank Aaron, and there's the part where he's drinking from, because all the heads are in the jars with the liquid, and he's drinking from Wade Boggs. Right. One, and then he goes, mm, Wade Boggs goes down smooth. <laughs> That's one of the best episodes. So, the the real gauge for me with uh for, for Futurama with guests is how willing the guest is to make fun of themselves. Uh huh. And so the best guest is Beck. Absolutely, because Beck is just is just like giving himself shit the entire episode. It's in the Beckshnery. Uh, Lucy Liu's pretty good too. Yeah, she's fun. Um, I feel like she's. I feel like there's a few too many jokes that are like, that's right, I am the sexiest woman ever or whatever. Yeah. You know? Uh, but there's some some good ones where like they sort of play it up. Mm-hmm. Um I do sometimes quote the <laughs> uh you should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. <laughs> um, after he talks about how sometimes when he's eating, he can't eat anymore, and then he goes to the bathroom when he can't eat more. Anyway, (laughs) I've watched so much Futurama and I don't quote it very often because I think like that style of uh, comedy where you just quote funny things from Mm -hmm. a show that you watch. uh, I think sometimes it gets old fast if people don't have like the reference point for it. I I was recently listening to a music podcast um, and they were talking about the anniversary of some Beastie Boys album just came around. And through that whole conversation, I was just like, that Beastie Boys episode of Futurama is pretty fucking good. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so the 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 one with Hank Aaron, he's not, he's not, like, it's him, and he's basically making fun of himself, but it's not him, and so he's, like, willing to go for it mm-hmm. in a way that I don't think he was, he would be if he was playing, like, himself, instead he's playing, like, his ancestor or whatever. But he's still kind of just playing himself, but as a, like, bad player and uh-huh. it's very funny it's very good um anyway yeah i think about so many lines from that <laughs> futurama is the thing i can just quote the most but i mean unfortunately star wars is that for me yeah there's no there's no one there's no one word star wars line reading that's that i mean the, there's the, the, there's the no but like hello there that's two words yeah the the one that you don't you don't quote the no but like the big one word line in Star Wars is the end of episode three no <laughs> yeah um my my thought my thought about the um, one word line read thing is just and it, it's kind of cheating because it fits into the whole rest of the line but it is Heineken yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that is a good line. Yeah. I had some other one in my head that I still haven't been able to pull back out, but, uh, um, anyway. So you watched a movie today? Yes, I watched most of a movie today. I would say I watched at least two thirds of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I'm going to finish it. Um, uh, mostly because I, there's some interesting stuff that is, I'll, I'll say what it is. So, um, it's this documentary, uh, that was made for, um, why am I drawing a blank suddenly? The, the Japanese, uh, TV channel. NHK. NHK. Um, but, uh, it's all, it's all in English. It was produced, or the director is, uh, Florence Dauman, 
uh, and Dale Ann Stryber or Streber. Um, Steber? I, I can't quite read that from Steber, here. probably. Yeah. Um, those seem like German last names, but anyway, or something. Um, but so it's called Hollywood Mavericks. Um, part of the reason why I don't think I'm going to finish it is that I think it has the, a very uncritical, um, idea of like auteur that it's doing. Yeah. In this thing about Hollywood Maverick. And I say this is, we are currently watching all the films of David Lynch. Uh huh. We're doing an auteurist project here. Yeah. We've talked about at some point doing an other versions of this. And like one I would love to do that would take a year is us watching all the films of Kurosawa Akira. And that's a, I'd be reading a bunch of auteurist text about him. Yeah. If we did that. Yeah. I have a ton of them over, you know, my bedroom that's right over there. We don't, um, we don't reject auteur theory here. We are just sort of skeptical of it when it's used to just lionize directors. Yes. I think. And that's like, we use auteur theory to sort of understand the films of David Lynch. And there's another way of applying it that's just like, oh, David Lynch. He's yeah. great. Because he, because he is an auteur, because he is great, because he is an auteur. He's a maverick. Yeah. Yeah. But the basic premise of this is they're trying to talk about people who, uh, to some degree, work within the Hollywood system. But also are at odds with it or um, sometimes working outside of it. Uh, a lot of it, at least in the beginning, they're talking about a lot of um, they're, they're getting a lot of uh, like directors to go at interviews who are contemporary at that time, who I think you would talk about as auteurs. Mm -hmm. They've got some David Lynch. They've got like, I think Robert Altman might be alive. I forget. Sometimes it's hard to tell if it's archival footage of an interview or an interview they're doing. I realized um, this week I've never seen a Robert Altman movie. Weird. I know, right? Um, Francis Ford Coppola, uh, Scorsese's in it, stuff like that. This reminded me of something I want to talk about, but it's off topic, so just remind me when we get to the yeah. end of this segment. Um, and then they're also talking about, uh, at this point, this is 1990, so when did Orson Welles die? I, I feel like the stuff 80... in it is archival, but I don't know if he was still alive or I not. I want to say he died in, like, 87. Yeah. I'm pretty... I don't know if he's dead, but he's definitely... They're not interviewing him. Well, he's it. dead now. Yeah, 80, 85. Okay. Yeah, so he was dead when they made this. But they have, like, archival stuff with that. And then they also have people who are alive who are actors who worked with the directors that they're talking about, in some cases, and in interviewing as well. Um, like De Niro, I think talks about some dead directors that he worked with or something. Um, but anyway, some of the interesting stuff is that you do just get people talking, but, um, I also have like a book, like a cineast or whatever book, mm -hmm. um, over there that's just interviews with directors. And I find that stuff more interesting. Um, cause part of it is since so much of the project is around this idea of Hollywood Mavericks, uh, so much of it is just around them talking and lionizing other directors mm -hmm. um so the movie immediately starts off with a bad taste in my mouth when there's just an extended section about dw griffith and how like oh, oh he's the guy no. like everybody's just been making films like griffith since oh, no. and they talk about birth of a nation but they don't really dig into like what does it mean that you're saying that one of the greatest movies of all time that changed what movies are and that made like it was like people went to watch a two-hour movie in the theater this is like one of the first times that ever this is the first time that ever happened because 
there's a very uncritical, there's no attempt to like in, interrogate any of that stuff. And you're not talking at all about the racism of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a, a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they talk about various other directors. Some of the stuff was a little bit interesting, but yeah, I found, I found it was like very uncritical about its core premise. Like it took as fact that like, um, <laughs> there's even this one, I forget which director it is, but he's like, um, I forget who is even in relation to, um, but it was, it was like directors, but like having to interact with some other director and being like, you know, whether or not you can do it is like a, uh, whether or not like he approves of you is the thing that decides if you are like, uh, and I forget the exact wording, but it was, you know, basically just like, you know, a, a great man of cinema or a woman. Mm-hmm. And it's like every single person who's being interviewed for this is a white man. Right. Every right. single person in this documentary. Yeah. Uh, they are occasionally briefly being like, oh yes, female Mavericks. Like in the people give like having the interviews are thinking in their head, hmm, I should probably not just say men. Mm-hmm. I should drop in women. But they're it's not being represented in any way beyond no. like this very gesturing at um there's no attempt to look into any of that stuff. It's just like, oh, the great men who make things. Um anyway, I watched it because it was made in nineteen ninety one or nineteen ninety, and I knew that it had David Lynch stuff in it. Um they don't interview Lynch as much as I was hoping. Um, there's a little bit with him where he talks. Most of what he's talking about is how, uh, and this is 1990. So this is like him hot off the heels of doing stuff with Dino De Laurentiis, mm-hmm. but him being like, you know, it's, it's fine to make stuff that has like weirdness and dreams. And these things are going to be like evocative or going to uh, leave questions or, or not explain things. If you're still telling, if you're still making a movie that is going to be like entertaining, mm-hmm. that people will want, will still want to sit for your two hours in the theater and watch it because there's still stuff in there that they can latch onto and feel familiar with and can mm-hmm. pull them along. Um, so that was the only part that was kind of interesting in relation to Lynch, but um, no, there's a, I forget which other director, but there's a line. I this was today, so you were. Uh, I think my toddler moment, I think my toddler had gotten, had woken up at this point. Yeah. And I was finishing it. Um, but I, I laughed and told you the line where, uh, I did just enjoy it. Of, uh, there's one guy who said like, what Hollywood loves to do is take art film directors <laughs> and give them a lot of money, uh, to act like an artist, but not make art. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, yeah, they are just still kind of doing that. Yeah. That still is their model. So one of the funny things um, in, in the in the Dawn of the Dead commentary that Romero does, it's so funny because it's recorded in 2003. Um, this is, he's specifically talking about, I'm trying to get funding for a fourth movie because the zombie thing is coming back and I think I can make it happen, but no one wants to do it. And even if they did want to do it, it would be so much more expensive. You know, back in the 70s, none of us were union. And so we could just go and get in that mall and work like 18-hour days. Um, And I I don't think that Romero was saying that that was better, just that that was a different filmmaking environment, right? But he's like talking about, yeah, we're all part of unions now, and so it's a much more regimented thing, and the studios all want you to like 
script the movie and, and know what you're doing ahead of time. Um, he said something that made me laugh so much. Um, the other context here is that the Dawn of the Dead remake is not out when he's recording this. Um, but he does mention, he's like, yeah, I know Rubenstein is going to make a do a remake. I don't, I don't know how it's going to come out. Um, which is very funny to hear him say. <laughs> Clearly, he is not getting any money out of that, because if he was, he would not say that. But um, the f- the funniest part, he caps this whole thing off. And he's like, and the worst part is that fucking mouse owns everything now. And so you can't do anything without that mouse saying yes or no. <laughs> and it's so funny to hear him say that in 2003. The mouse didn't own shit yet. <laughs> yeah. The mouse still owned a lot of shit, though. The mouse still owned everything, and he didn't have shit yet. Um, the one other thing I thought was kind of interesting was the segment about Orson Welles. Uh, just because Orson Welles is a fascinating man. Um, one of the things that they talk about is that, like, if you're trying to talk about this Hollywood maverick, like, who's a better representation than Orson Welles? Uh-huh. This this man who is like you know, working within the system and then basically got pushed out, but kept trying to like do stuff within that space weirdly. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I thought that was interesting that they posited was like the problem with Orson Welles was and like with his career was that he made this like huge budget movie uh, and was sort of working within like the Hollywood system. And then he gets pushed out. Mm-hmm. Uh, he essentially gets blacklisted. Mm hmm. But he is already, one, already has, like, this level of uh, fame and, like, notoriety and everything around him yeah. from the work that he's done. And also is a difficult man to work with uh-huh. who wants to make the film the exact way that he wants to make. And I don't care how much it's going to fucking cost, you're going to give me the money for it. Right. Because I'm Orson Welles, I made Citizen Kane, the thing that normally wins the sight in sound polls, except for, like, the two years it didn't. Yeah. And both of them are after I'm dead. Yeah. I made Citizen <laughs> Kane. And so, there is this growing, like, independent uh, production model that works great for people like David Lynch. Uh-huh. Works great for a lot of the people that they're talking about. But Orson Welles does not want to go and work for some small company in Pennsylvania Mm -hmm. that is not going to be able to just give him the budget he wants. Right. And so the best success he gets is like in Europe, where sometimes you can get that. Yeah. Um, And that's where like sometimes a production company will will give him what he wants. Right. But a a smaller production company that's not the Hollywood production (coughs) model... They're going to want somebody who's made one or two films mm. and none of them that big of a budget. And they want to give them a little bit bigger of a budget and see if they can, yeah, you know, it's get, funny, get a hit with that. It's funny how that is was such a codified thing from the late 60s through the 2000s. And then in the 2010s, it just blows up to from like... Like, I feel like Ryan Coogler was the last of these guys who makes Fruitvale Station, a tiny, no-budget movie. Creed, mid, mid-tier mid movie. And then gets to do um, uh, Black Panther, huge-budget movie, right? Ryan Coogler is, like, the last of those guys because everybody who is younger than Ryan Coogler that's doing that goes from, I made my small, no-budget movie for, for $12 to... I'm working on the Eternals. 
I'm working on, you know, Ant-Man 4 or whatever, you know, all those people, there's, there is no middle budget movie that those, there's no Elephant Man, there's no, um, there's no middle tier of movie now. You're making the smallest movie or the biggest movie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's weird where, and I know I'm just like not super up on, Mm. there's just so many great old movies but i'm not super up on like modern movies Mm -hmm. and so then i look and i'm like there's lists and i'm like i haven't heard of a bunch of these because yeah so so, like just the market is so fucking weird now i sent you and i don't know if you read it because you've been busy all day i i've flipped through it quickly just looked at the titles didn't read anything okay well I didn't look at the titles at all. <laughs> so I sent you this morning. Um, let me see if I can find the exact thing here. Nora. Also, one of them is 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 tar. Yeah. So, and I feel so I feel because they put the accent over the A. I don't know. Yeah. And it's it's like the T A with the little acute accent over it and then R. And my brain just sees it, and from my experience, warps it into Icelandic. I want to say it in Icelandic. Um, and so my brain is always like, tower. Mm-hmm. But it's not. It's not that. <laughs> so this is from Slant Magazine, the 25 best films of 2022. Um, and I wanted to complain about this because... You and me, I think, are people who are very cynical about the state of cinema today. And I think in some ways this article is, in some ways it's not. And I didn't look at what the list was. I just read these opening paragraphs. And let me see if I can pull out like a good quote from here. If the entire art form is in a state of now permanent identity crisis, we are all indeed the beneficiaries. Our yearly roundup of the titles that gave us fits, starts, and hope is no less fruit-flavored for belying the proverbial center that did not hold. Sidebar. You're writing a 25 best movies of the year list. You do not have to, Your sentences do not have to cost $10 like this. <laughs> In fact, taken from the 10,000-foot view, our best of 2022 offers the reassurances that any multiverse offers to those who are receptive, Our shared experience has, in a sense, never been more democratically aware of the individuality, the curiosity, the inclusivity of how a supposedly dieting medium can still be harnessed for two or three or four hours of presuppositional submission. You do not need to write sentences like that. You're writing a 25 best years of movies of the year article. But what this person's getting at is that um, there is a sense across the industry, at least the industry of movie critics, which, you know, we are part of. (laughs) We are part of an ecosystem of critics. I don't think you and I really engage with that ecosystem that often, but we are part of it. And there's a sense across, I think, a lot of critical lines of, like, Disney has monopolized culture in a way, and, like, what is... For a lot of critics, and I don't think it is for us, but I think for a lot of critics, like, what is the role of cinema in today's, like, culture? Because so much of that role has all gotten eaten up by Disney, and so much of that role has been supplanted by video games, and there's a lot of hand-wringing about, like, 
well, what are movies for now? What a movie like, um, and I don't, I just kind of reject this way of framing the issue. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I, do you have any like gut, gut reaction to, to what I'm saying at all or what this person, what this, uh, paragraph is? Cause if you don't, I can keep going, but I want to open the floor to you. Um, I mean, the, the biggest thing is I read it and I was just like, Jesus Christ, just say, fucking say what you mean. But anyway, well, yeah, it's so, like... it's so, uh, verbose. It's so verbose. Um, um, but it, it's also a thing of like, there, there's this like claim happening here that in some way what's happening is good for the viewer because now we get these like interesting things that are stuck in this weird identity crisis and I'm like some of the other things in the Hollywood Mavericks thing is towards the very end it's just a lot of people talking about how like the profit motive is so the the weird problem Mm -hmm. that exists under capital, this did not exist in communist nations where they've they had a perfectly fine way of funding movies, yeah, uh, and people being able to make interesting things without having to care about profit motives. But the 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 bind under capitalism of cinema is that movies, even a small budget movie, mm-hmm. costs a lot of fucking money to make. Yes, in the the grand scheme of thing, it is so much cheaper for you to write your book or, you know draw a comic or mm-hmm. uh even record music yeah all these sorts these are so much cheaper than making movies movies are like extremely expensive um the the advent of digital cameras has helped this a little bit mm-hmm. but there's still massive uh production costs for making lots of movies like a, a most kinds of movies mm-hmm. are, are very expensive to make and you need money and once you start getting money in those numbers, people want to talk about returns because we live in a capitalist society. Yeah. And the profit motive is just a very, very, very bad thing for creating something like for creating art. Right. Like art is a thing that is not actually like well supported by profit motive. Right. And, and well developed by that. Yeah. Um, and what I think part of what we're seeing right now is this like massive massive turn towards uh or like the this like growing divide Hmm. where people are trying to find different ways to make money off of movies and so part of that is that like low budget stuff is going to be usually not super great digital camera stuff i mean everything's digital now Mm -hmm. but it's also going to be on the lower end of that and it's probably going to be made for a streaming service Mm -hmm. um because that has a lower Mm-hmm. like distribution mm-hmm. cost as well. And then you just get like what's happening in theaters and obviously pandemic like made this even worse, but what's happening in theaters is just, there's so much money going into it. They want to see so much money in return. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and so I think some, if you are a person who cares about what, like who, if you are a critic who has to be constantly watching current movies because you are working in that like this is what's currently happening we're we're on the pulse of current you know cinema culture and cinema developments uh i'm writing these end of the year lists that's the best movies of this year mm. all of this kind of stuff i think part of what's happening in the article is an attempt to try to find 
Like, why, why am I still doing this job? <laughs> if we're existing in this place where, like, the profit motive is just, like, fucking up movies more and more. Mm-hmm. Disney fucking owns everything, or Netflix owns it, and they're going to make a, a movie that's going to get streamed and get get forgotten about. Mm-hmm. And they might even just remove it from their whatever, or yeah. who knows what they're going to do with it, because yeah. Netflix is just so weird and flighty these days, it feels like. Totally. Um. <clears throat> All this stuff is like, like everything is just funneled into these like bad outcomes, basically. And and, and then you have to write a best year of the list and you're like, how do I justify to myself what I'm doing? It's kind of what the article felt like to me. And if you're a streaming service, what is your incentive to investing in making a movie? As a streaming service, what you are invested in is retaining an audience retaining subscribers making subscribers feel like i have a reason to not cancel my subscription from one month to the next and so why would you ever invest in a movie when you could invest that in a series um which like you know there are lots of series that i think you know have the sort of uh this is a loaded way of saying this but i can't think of a better way like the artistic merit of like movies of 10 20 30 years ago yeah but they just all those things have to be a series now because series are going to retain viewers in a way that movies aren't yeah a thing Um, we've talked about is that the there's a weird it feels like now that there's less of a a line between what is a movie and what is a, a tv show quote unquote mm. because the one the means of of consumption for films have increasingly also become something you watch on your TV. Mm-hmm. The the means of consuming television shows has also increasingly become binging a single show. Yeah. Um which has then all but erased the idea of episodic television. Yeah. Um I'm not saying nobody's doing it but like this ex- highly serialized Mm-hmm. highly serialized like people talk about deep space nine being like a serialized show more than a episodic show it is still deeply episodic compared to modern serialized yes, television. yes absolutely um and so all of this is like a thing too where yeah if you are somebody who wants to to make a movie but you don't really have the budget to like support the whole theater thing mm-hmm you're probably trying to figure how do well how do I pitch this into a, a Netflix series or something or or yeah. a straight to Hulu series or something? How do I make this ten episodes? Yes. Um. Or maybe they'll even let me get away with like seven or something. Well, how do I how do I make how do I pad this and fill this out to make it into? Because bizarrely, that's what mm-hmm. streaming services want is something that's going to take a while to watch. That's yeah. why uh the. Not that Stranger Things was ever great, but the as the seasons go on, it just gets worse and worse is because they need to keep making it longer because uh-huh. that's part of how you have someone stick on with a, a streaming service is that they can't just, you know. Yeah. They can't just uh, binge it in one night and be done. Also makes it harder to torrent it. Yeah. <laughs> if it's longer, you have to have more yeah hard totally totally for, absolutely for all i'm sure that the hard drive space for the first season of stranger things is so much smaller than the f- most yeah. recent season another thing i and i guess here's what i want to say to like here's my last thought about this 
is that I read this and I read things like the now permanent identity crisis. Yes. And I guess I just want to say that, like, I think it is easy if you are a critic whose job it is to watch new releases to say cinema is in a now permanent identity crisis because it has been an identity crisis for a few years now. Because of the project that we do of thinking always about the history of cinema, you know, yeah. this this is a ornate stairwells as a show is constantly engaged with the history of the medium. Um, I think it is very easy to be like, there is an identity crisis now. In ten years, the movie industry could look much worse. It could look much better. I genuinely have no idea because these things change so much in such a short amount of time there is a total because because disney has a monopoly on all this shit now um and you know i think it is easy to imagine that this is how it's always going to be and i just don't think that's true i think I, like think about how mo- how different movies were in 1962 versus 1972 versus 1982 those yeah. are like shit changes in the in this art form constantly imagine if a lot of critics who feel uh some sort of complex at the very least if not uh you know like we do Mm -hmm. uh sort of against like the this current monopolization of mainstream cinema by something like disney Mm -hmm. imagine if there was lots of these critics who instead of writing articles about how, well, this permanent identity crisis that we're just stuck in and we can't escape from, uh, does reap, uh, benefit mm-hmm. f- benefits for us or whatever the mm-hmm. weird wording was. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, what if instead they push for, and so what we need is we need new legislation to break up these monopolies. Yeah. That these monopolies are destroying like cinema mm-hmm. and we need to like push for legislations to try and break this stuff up because mm-hmm. what, what is happening with Disney right now like we we actually need to find a way to undo some of this. Mm-hmm. I could so easily see. I could in, so easily envision. Uh-huh. I'm not going to say see as in uh, I believe that this could happen uh-huh. very easily. Just knowing the the way that many people react uh, uh-huh. to this kind of. But I can so easily envision legislation changes that just radically changes what cinema is like in America in 10 years because you, you break up all this shit and you, you things have to restructure because you can't have the monopolies like this. Right. Cause right now, literally right now, the reason that the changes, the reason that the movie industry of the 1950s is so different from the 1960s is literally one Supreme court case saying that, um, uh, uh, paramount, let's say, there was, I think Paramount was who was on trial here specifically, but this ended up applying to all the studios. Paramount cannot own the production, the distribution, and the theaters, right? Yeah. Um, there was a vertical integration that was, was like, Paramount owned every step of the process, and partially because um, that uh, Supreme Court ruling, so, so that Supreme Court ruling breaks that up, and for years, like you couldn't do that, and that's what gave rise to independent cinema in the U in the U.S. Yeah. Um, but but 
because digital because that that decision wasn't worded for digital streaming things and because um that decision has actually been overturned in recent years um we are now at a place where you know disney makes the movie distributes it on their streaming service um promotes the movie like every step in that process is owned by disney and so we're back at that place again and things changed you know yeah (laughs) and and i just think that things will change and i think that um the danger of being a uh someone who is um can only take the short view i think the the danger of criticism that can only take in from January 1st, 2022 to now, um, is that you think that this this is permanent and it is <laughs> and it won't be and it will it, things will change again. And I don't know what that's going to look like. Maybe it'll get worse, who knows. But like it will change, you know? Yeah. Um you reminded me when you were talking about sorry, were you going to say something? I was just trying to do something with Letterboxd right now, and I'm being foiled by uh, yes. transnational co-productions. Yes. Um, what I was going to do is I was just going to pull up on Letterboxd Polish films. Yes. I'm sure if I looked for a list of Polish films, I would find stuff that proved my point. But, like, an example of legislation radically changing what cinema looks like is uh, Poland is no longer a communist country. Mm-hmm. Uh most people don't care about Polish films that aren't international co-productions primarily with France. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because what happens is that the profit motive enters into it and Polish cinema gets bad. Yeah. So something that um, George Lucas talked about in his, I believe this is in the infamous White Slavers interview. <laughs> um, but something Lucas talks about is that, you know, um, he feels that um, the 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 capitalist mode of production of cinema is actually ends up involving more like soft censorship um, and and soft limits on what yeah. a movie can be than the sort of hard limits that say like you know censors in the USSR might have placed because there. You know, you didn't have the profit motive. You just had someone saying, oh, well, you can't include this in your movie. Whereas in um, what Lucas describes in the capitalist mode of production is that you write your movie and then someone says, oh, you can't you have to change that. Oh, you have to change that. Oh, you have to change that. Oh, you have to change that. And bit by bit, the movie that you were making gets eroded to please as many people as possible because you have to make the movie that is going to sell millions and millions of tickets. And because of that, um, no one ever says like, oh, you can't include, you know, anti-communist imagery in your movie, but instead you just get like the sanding down of the idea that you had and the sanding down of the artistic vision um, that he just didn't, he feels it just isn't there in, you know, communist productions. And obviously, you know, communist uh, filmmakers maybe feel differently about this or, or filmmakers from the Soviet Union probably feel differently about this, but that is like very easy. I, I think George is really onto something with that. <laughs> I mean, having a professor who, uh, you know, grew up in Poland, I would say was anti-communist. Mm-hmm. 
uh, taught Polish and, and like Eastern European cinema history courses that I took with him. Mm -hmm. Uh, he also still believed that, uh, the profit motive like ruined the cinema in those countries. Mm. Um, there are many, many directors who, who might say like, we'll have interviews being like, Oh yes, I'm like glad to be free of, of communism or whatever. Uh, also it's impossible to make a good movie anymore (laughs) (laughs) or you just have to like get like French money now if you want to make something. Yeah. Because um, France is like the one European country that's just going to invest a bunch in art, and that's all like because of French national identity stuff. That like, yeah, who knows? You know, like national identity is such a really bad reason to pin. Like, we all have to get money from France <laughs> yeah. because national identity can change. <laughs> um, but anyway, my whole thing, my whole point in all of this uh-huh. is, uh, it is not our permanent uh, identity crisis. All we need to do is overthrow capitalism and install a communist state. Yeah. So, uh, get out in the streets, riot, and then we'll have good movies again. Yeah. See you next Tuesday. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We watched three episodes of Twin Peaks, but whatever. Whatever. (laughs) We, okay, okay. Should we talk about why we're doing three? I I mentioned this, and I think on the Long Fire recording, or maybe it was after, but, and M was just like, I think anyone who listens to the podcast knows why you're doing three episodes a week now. Yes. So on the last episode, we were like, hey, we're going to start doing two episodes a week. And then we were like, let's do three episodes a week because I just don't think that we're suited to doing a TV podcast. Yeah. The- I think we're committed to, I want to see through the return, you know, but we want to see this project out. I want to see all the all of David Lynch movies. Yeah, that's but the important part to me is like watching Lost Highway and Inland Empire at this point. You know. Yeah, I I more care about just seeing the movies. Yeah. Than about actually watching through. I I'm excited about watching through all of Twin Peaks. I'm As excited. someone who likes Twin Peaks. Yeah, same. But then I sit down to have to record about it, and I'm like, I feel like I already said what the fuck I think about Twin Peaks. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not as much like a movie where um, every movie has a little bit more of its own weird, unique erotics. It has mm. its own weird, unique aesthetic things and different things that are going to... And episodes will kind of get that, but there's more... Uh, the main thing we were talking about when we were watching these three episodes was the the ways that we could notice different directors kind of having something going on. Yeah. It, it's interesting. All three directors that uh, did episodes that we watched this week are kind of doing David Lynch's style, but they all take that to mean different things. Yeah. You and know? at this point, because it's been... Yeah, go so back and listen to thing. us talk about Hell Week. I don't actually remember all the time which ones had different, but like, there's one there's one director who really liked showing close-ups on faces and then close-ups on like hands or little details. Like you would see something on a table and then a hand would come in to like grab something or whatever. And there's a lot of that going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Mark Frost directed episode felt very, I mean, there was some stuff that w- was still fun, but it felt one thing is he liked put, putting lots of things in between. Mm-hmm. This one I knew he, mm-hmm. I remember cause I remember thinking about, Oh, Mark Frost is directing this one or more accurately. Um, Warren Frost, Warren Frost's son. Yeah. In case anyone's confused about who Mark Frost is, Warren Frost's son directed yeah. this one. Yeah. I guess he also wrote some of this. I guess so. I guess. That's kind of <laughs> weird. Anyway. 
<laughs> um, but yeah, cause, cause he directs it and he likes having like, there's like the, uh, sort of bars of like a railing thing that mm-hmm. would be in front of something, or you would have like objects on a desk sort of in front of the main figure. He liked doing that a lot, but otherwise beyond that, which felt a little bit like a hearkening to stuff like Laura, the, yeah. the, uh, film noir that we watched. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, I felt like he had a very functional TV yes. directing style of <clears throat> sometimes he would get a close up, but most of the time you're going to sort of get the like, uh, you know, bust shot or mm-hmm. maybe you get a three quarters. You very rarely saw people from afar. Yeah. Which makes sense if you're like in a TV shooting mode in particular because yeah. you're shooting it for a TV and you don't want far away. Exactly. Whereas I feel like David Lynch in Twin Peaks loves having people stand far away uh-huh i think the only time that that really happens is the the recounting of <clears throat> andy shooting mm. we're standing far away <laughs> where you get like full body shot but that's because you have to get all the guys standing around and lucy yeah. in the foreground yeah lucy's know? still in the foreground so you still have like a primary figure you can see um cougar stream is the one that i least remember yeah so, so but i know so, that i was noticing a little hallmarks too just to rewind a little bit, you touched on this, but I just want to say, so today is Friday. Yes. We watched two of these on Monday and the other on Tuesday. I don't remember a fucking thing about yeah. these episodes. Go back and listen to us talking about everything about like Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And I remember we had a wonderful time, uh, but God it was nice. almighty. We, you know, I, I was just like fucking stress mode you you got my toddler down to a nap uh-huh. i was just not even paying attention to the world sometimes um and then i was like i'm taking my lunch and we yeah we sat and we watched it so. yeah but yeah i just don't if i couldn't do a plot summary if i wanted to because i just don't remember the the pieces of these episodes do you want to go through um just like the cast and we don't have to like talk about all the things they did, but, like, do you want to just, like, um, go through the cast and just be like, oh, what did we think about Cooper across these episodes? Yeah. You know? Um, sure, we can do something like that. I pulled up a quick, like, I, we've been using the fan wiki because it's more in-depth, but I actually just pulled up Wikipedia right here because I think yeah. us not being able to see all the, the yeah. multiple, multiple paragraphs of what happens will actually be helpful. So, um, episode five, they're invested. Episode six, aka episode five, aka Cooper's Dream. You need to update in the spreadsheet how you're doing that because yeah. it's bothering me. <laughs> I haven't done it yet, but um, I want to change it. Yeah. So, episode five is they're investigating um, Jacques' apartment and they go walking in the woods and they find um, they hang out with um, the log lady for a bit and then they end up uh, investigating uh, Jacques' apartment. Um, uh, log cabin where uh, he this killed. This is the one where there's there's well, two times where uh it's Cooper and then other people come behind him all in a little line. You know, <laughs> the first time it's three and they're all looking at the image and then there's the other. One. <laughs> Wait, is it because I said come? I've seen many. I I could I could send you a lot of our of a lot of people coming behind Agent Cooper. You're such a fucking child. 
I can't believe we've done two episodes in a row now where I have to be like, you do know that come is just a verb, right? For like, <laughs> but you said a line of people comes behind Agent Cooper. Yes. That's funny. Fuck you. You're a child. Um. Well, okay, so to talk about, talk about Cooper, just... Here's what Cooper gets up to across these episodes. Yeah. He investigates Jock's apartment. He investigates the log cabin. Yeah, he finds clues about the log cabin. Yeah, he finds... The red velvet Yes. He he investigates the log cabin that Jacques um, and Leo rape Laura and Rona in. Um, He talks briefly briefly with um, the log lady. Um, In the next episode, um, oh yes, and then episode episode six, episode five, Cooper's dreams ends with he walks into his bedroom and Audrey is naked. We can circle back to why she's doing that later. So the next episode opens on Cooper's like, Audrey, you're a high school girl. I really want to fuck you, but I can't because I'm the FBI. Um, but I'll- I think there's a generous read on this scene of he's trying to tell her what she needs to hear, which is that like, yes, you are a beautiful, desirable girl, mm-hmm. but also it does come off a little weird. Yeah. Um, and basically he continues the investigation by go by he's going to him and Big Ed are going to go to one eyed Jacks. And then in an episode in the final episode of the season, we are going to see the events that unfold at one eyed Jacks. Um, one of the things that I found really interesting across these episodes, because I think it happens once in Cooper's dreams and once in realization time, is that, like, like, in Jacques' apartment, Cooper sees, um, the shot of Laura, where you can't see her head, you just see her body sort of doing a sexy pose in lingerie, and then the red curtains in the background. And curtain, and Cooper is like, Oh, that's Laura. And Harry's like, how do you know that's Laura? And he's like, oh, red curtains, just like in my dream. But, like, the implication to me is that, like, Cooper sees Laura Palmer's naked body and, or, or you know, exposed body, sexualized body, and instantly recognizes it, you know? Yeah. I don't think that's, like, literally what's happening, but that's, like, maybe what Truman thinks for a second. And I think that's interesting that like, we've talked so much about how Cooper instrumentalizes Laura, um, in this first season. And I think this is one more expression of that in some ways. Um, are you a detective or a pervert? Um, that's for me to know and you to find out, you know, or whatever it is he says. <clears throat> as we'll see in the final episode of uh, Twin Peaks The Return. Both. Both. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, he can he can sort of explain it away with his dreams thing. And I'm not saying within the fiction that that's wrong. I'm just saying that there is a connection being drawn here that like Cooper maybe doesn't want to see or forecloses the possibility of that I think is very much still in play, you know, that he is sexualizing Laura's body so much that he can recognize it even without seeing her face, you know, that also, and he, he gives this detail, 
but also just in this way of like, oh, I just am describing the dream. I had this revelatory dream, but also it's like, and then she came over to me and kissed me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In the, in the dreams where he sees these red curtains, like Laura is an object of desire, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, And we also then are getting this juxtaposed with stuff with Audrey. Right. So, so Audrey, um, yeah, Audrey gets some interesting stuff. Are you a detective or a pervert, Audrey Horn? <laughs> um, where she's looking through a peephole in at her dad as her dad is cheating on her mom with Catherine. Yeah. Right. And she goes immediately from that scene to, I'm going to like go get naked and get in Cooper's bed to try to seduce him. Right. Yeah. Then we open the next episode on why Cooper isn't going to fuck her. Yeah. Um, but she still continues to kind of desire him. Yeah, totally. Like this, there's also the letter at the, the secret letter at the end, um, but he can't read it. Right. But, and so, um, but then she's also doing her little like, Oh, I'm going to go to one eye Jack's and like become one of the, the, uh, you know, hospitality girls or what escorts escort or, yeah know. well escort is one of the ways that they describe i feel like it was hospitality or hospitality girls yeah that is yeah. A, you said it a second time i was like oh that is yeah. definitely a phrase that's used there um there's this ridiculous scene where she this is just such a like i feel like people don't do it anymore because it's just played out but i just feel like in the 90s like just me growing up in the nineties, this weird representation of uh sexual skill that was just like pervasive in a way <laughs> that um doesn't always feel like it was supposed to be a joke, but now just does because I think it's been parodied so much as like a weird thing that just the nineties believed mm-hmm. about sexual skill, which is that you put uh, an entire cherry in your mouth at the stem and then you pull out the tied stem because you tied it with your tongue. Cause you can yeah. move your tongue around so good that mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure that would feel good, but it's also, I always, <laughs> I always find it weird. Cause I'm like, because it's, it's almost always, like, a woman doing it. Yes. And it's supposed to be, like, hot to a guy. And I'm like, yeah, like, I guess, like, being able to move the tongue around a lot with, like, a... Would be, like, good for a, a blowjob. But, like, <laughs> it also kind of seems like you're trying to de- demonstrate how good you can eat pussy. Because <laughs> I feel like tongue's, like, very involved. There. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, It's just ridiculous. Uh-huh. Every time I see a scene in a movie or anything where someone ties a, a cherry stem with their tongue, I'm just so amused by it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, and then, of course, uh, Ben Horn shows up and wants to break in the new girl because mm-hmm. he, he's a f- fucking Ben Horn, not a detective. No, mm-hmm. no. Uh, Audrey Horn. I think I think by the time we get to the end of this, we will all agree she's also not a detective, but she is a pervert. <laughs> but she's trying real hard to be a detective. Yeah. <laughs> um. But I just find this. Um. Yeah, that's sort of the big dramatic thing at the end. There is like Ben Horn coming in, and I think about um. And this is not a knock on Totally Reprised, which you can listen to by going to AudioEntropy.com. Um, this is not a knock on their show at all, but I I kind of remember them getting to um, the conversation between Cooper and Audrey and focusing so much on like the um, like weird power dynamics and and the 
uncomfortability of the scene and just sort of writing it off as, oh, 90s TV, this was just like acceptable. And I think that's, I don't, I don't think that's wrong by any stretch of the imagination. I do think that there is an element to, in the 90s, you could just, in the 90s, like, a character like Cooper on TV could fuck a character like Audrey on TV and it would be lightly scandalous. A little yeah. risque, you know? Yeah. But not like... I don't <clears throat> think that Cooper would have been cancelled on Twitter like he would be now if that had happened, you know? Yeah. Um, but also, I mean, go to AO3 and there's like a thousand things that people are writing today about this totally. stuff. And and where it goes way farther than Twin Peaks. <laughs> I guess I just have a more... And this is totally informed by... You know, I had seen the return on this rewatch and they had not seen this the return when they were doing this episode. Like, I think about the guy that we have seen Cooper to be throughout season one and the person we see him to be at the end of the return. I I I watch the scene and I think so much about Cooper as the guy who um says I am the FBI and then abandons his wife and child immediately. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um and and Cooper in, in this scene is not saying, I'm not going to fuck you because it, what he's not saying is, I'm not going to fuck you because it would be immoral. What he's saying is, I'm not going to fuck you because it would be a betrayal of um, my oaths to the FBI and my service to the Bureau. Which is his way of saying immoral. Yes. But totally. that his morality is defined by yes. his like role as a detective. Right. And I think like he he can sort of like in a very like literal sense, he often objectifies Laura Palmer. In his mind he turns her into an object and does not think about her humanity. And I think he is a little more able here to consider Audrey's humanity, um, but that that still, it still leads him to alienating her. And I'm not saying he should, I'm not saying he should fuck her and not alienate her. What I'm saying is, he's like, you need a friend. And he kind of makes a gesture toward, I'm going to get us some hot chocolate and you're going to get dressed and I'll listen to whatever's going on with you. But I don't think that is like, I don't think Cooper is really going to be her BFF, you know? I think he's going to have this one nice conversation with her where he like calms her down and then that they're not like friends now. (laughs) I don't think we see them over the course of the show be buddy, buddy like that, you know? Yeah. And then obviously like, you know, Bob takes him over and that becomes a whole other thing. Um, Yeah. Um, well, also in all this is like, there, there are intentional parallels happening Mm -hmm. again, David, you, you fucking knew David has to know because having the setup of Ben Horn possibly going to have sex with his daughter, but not knowing because of the setup that's been happening here, Uh but that's like a a big tension at the end of, of episode two. A, a.k.a. episode 7, a.k.a. The Last Evening. Also, Mark Frost is a writer on two of these episodes. Like, David Lynch... David Lynch is not credited as a writer or director on any of these, but he was going to have creative input because it's still season one. And Mark Frost does have com- creative input. And I am fully just... Frost and Lynch knew. Yeah. Maybe they didn't tell 
Ray Wise, but those two had to know that Leland is the killer. Because you just don't write the show this way if you don't know. There's no reason to write Leland the way that you do. Yeah, so the way that Leland's written, the way that you're intentionally setting up a parallel with Ben Horn and Audrey to, like, enter into the mind of this idea Mm -hmm. of, like, incest and stuff, Mm -hmm. which is a thing that's going to, you know... Which, like, is, other than the Shelley thing, maybe the most shocking and and, and terrible stuff that we've seen through the show. Like, the, the cliffhanger of, is Ben Horn about to fuck Audrey, is, like... The only other thing in the text of the show that is as shocking is the domestic abuse situation that that Shelley is in, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's of course is going to get it so imperial. More so when when you get to Firewalk with me, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that's also I think a dynamic of what's happening in the the Palmer household. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also in in this too, you then get this additional smaller parallel that i think is happening setting up with cooper and audrey Mm -hmm. um that also like yes you have this like shocking like incest version Mm -hmm. but also what's being set up with like cooper and audrey is not necessarily is and this is the thing that uh sort of came up on unlocked twitter because um now that they are have watched through all of the return uh press is listening through the high press we yeah, high you. press um and i i have this read where i think some of it there is a certain amount of like oh i'm thinking about the character and i'm thinking about like the person that that character is but i think with a lot of uh this is not true of all cinema or anything uh-huh. of all tv shows but i think that david lynch as a filmmaker from what i've seen is deeply invested in storytelling and dreams and things mm-hmm. like that is like deeply invested in like what are movies? Mm-hmm. You know, these dreams and what are the things that we are saying with them? What are the in the way that you read dreams through symbols? Mm-hmm. Um doing around the long fire and there's so many reading of dreams where they're like, this symbol means this. Yeah. Like like I had a dream where this happens. Oh, that must be an omen about this thing that will someday happen. Yes. You know? Um and sometimes it's like there's the there's the very like more in- there's a, a different kind of interpretive and then people still do it today where it's like, oh, I was having this weird, I was, uh, I was having this dream about like, oh, I forgot I had a class and I was back in like grad school and blah, blah, blah. And that's probably related to work stress I'm having or something. Right. You totally. Know? Um, all of this stuff, people still interpret dreams. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a certain amount to which he's trying to talk about and think about like, what are storytelling forms that we keep using? And... Blue Velvet and Twin Peaks, I think, are both ones that are interrogating the hero archetype of the detective. Uh-huh. Um, and that some of that contains within it, and there's something that he explores, the especially like the very noir detective who is morally compromised, um, but also is often inherently like kind of a good guy. He's a he's a good guy who's been delusioned by the war. Yes. Or whatever. Yes. yes. You know? Or whatever it might be that is like brought about the modern state of alienation and delusion that mm. affects the main character. The main character is the detective type, but it still sort of has these hallmarks of a hero. And I think uh, Cooper in particular is set up to be this interrogation of this hero archetype and a look at the fact that like the nature of the detective hero is just always going to be compromised in some way. 
mm-hmm. because like the humanity and the detective side are things that need to be at odds. And I think in some ways, like as it goes on, part of what makes Albert a good character. I don't think that the takeaway actually, and just from what I know of David Lynch is that the FBI is bad. Mm-hmm. I think it is about the hero archetype of the detective mm-hmm. because I think that Albert is good. Mm-hmm. And what makes Albert good is that he is not trying to be the hero. He was mm. trying to do the job of being a detective and solving murders. Yeah. And I think that David Lynch thinks that the job of somebody who can come in, maybe not have the emotion, but be able to look at something objectively, try to look at the facts, try to like figure out the case, that there is value in that. That's uh-huh. how you that's how you find murders. Uh-huh. I think that he thinks that that is good. And what this is going to be challenging more is the idea that there's the hero of the detective who comes in and is a great guy and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, uh, has this like deeper emotional attachment to everything, but is also going to be the, the big hero who's going to save the day and everything. But that in that, like wrapping up of everything into the, the hero detective who's going to save the day. Mm hmm like in that process is diminishing the actual like real human pain and emotion that like the, the victims are having because it, it centers, it centers Cooper over Laura. Yeah. It centers Cooper as the, the main person. So much of return is wanting Cooper to come back and then Cooper comes back and everything goes to shit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, absolutely. Um, like that is not actually the, the fix for any of it. So. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I feel like some of this is rehashing stuff we said, but th- I think this is kind of related to this because when I look at what's happening with Cooper and Audrey and, you know, there's all the production stuff around this too, where uh, there are people who wanted it to be consummated and then like... <laughs> Kyle McLaughlin <laughs> is, is like, dating um, Donna's actress whose name is escaping me yeah. right now. Uh, and Donna's actress didn't want it to happen because of like her own personal reasons, yeah. <laughs> which is a, its own can of worms. Uh, totally Reprise does a great job of one providing context about that whole behind the scenes situation, and two unpacking the real bullshit that is all of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there is something weird where, like, I I wonder to what degree <coughs> is it meant to be. Are we meant to then become, if all of this stuff is going to be about, like, what happens to Laura Palmer, if they did have the part where Cooper and, and Audrey, would that just, where does Annie come from or something, you know? Yeah. Like, was there going to be a dark turn to that if that happened? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I could so easily see with the return, there it's, being a dark turn. It's so weird that... Annie doesn't. Get I mean, the return the... gives a dark turn, I guess. Yeah, it's so weird that Annie doesn't get mentioned in the return at all. Yeah, it's bizarre. it's weird. Um. Anyway, we can talk about some other characters, but the 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 stuff with Andy is great. Stuff with Andy the, is so good. The 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 moment where he actually does shoot Jacques Renault. Uh huh. Um, and it's just it's like played so comically, but also just like straight. Uh huh. You know. Like, it's a very, like, kind of dry uh, presentation of the joke of, you know, Andy had been all trembling and everything. And then there's the moment where, like, Jacques trying to grab the weapon. And you think that, um, who is it who's going to be shot? 
Truman. Who's dead? Truman. Truman is uh, what deader than a. I forget the line. <laughs> so, so there's the moment of Andy shooting him, and that's good. But yeah. then the next. I well, think there's maybe I'll, a scene I'll with... do the I'll do the moment of Andy shooting, which is just the moment where that shot goes off, and then you see, and everyone else is kind of like, you know, stressed and in a state, and then Andy, who's been practicing, is just like perfect stance, like unmoving, like serious face, got uh-huh. his gun, like you know, proper pistol discipline or whatever, yeah. all of it. Uh, it's it's just very funny. And so then we go to the sheriff's department, and it's Andy Hawk. And Big Ed still in his ridiculous disguise, yeah, <laughs> which is mostly just clothes that Big Ed wears anyway, but with a fake mustache and wig, yeah. <laughs> and so it's it's Andy Hawk and Big Ed talking to two just random cops at the station, and they're like, c- clearly Hawk and Ed are like playing it up because they want Lucy to hear how heroic Andy was, right? Yeah. And Big Ed says something, I don't remember what it was now, but he's like, deader, deader than a roadside hog or something. Yeah. <laughs> and we lost our shit because we still just can't look at Big Ed and not think. Yeah. <clears throat> so Andy pulls out his gun and he says, Wadid. <laughs> yeah, let me just find the, the, if I can find the tweets from, uh, from Tuesday? Yeah. The thing is, I tweet too much. You do tweet too um, much. I'm constantly saying this. Um, You tweet at me too much. I mean, I just... Okay, here we go. Uh, Jacques takes Fred's gun, and all of a sudden, Harry's deader than a pound of roadside stew. <laughs> <You> said, <laughs> because Big Ed is so good. And then I replied, uh, but then Andy pulled out his weird in module, and he said the killing word, Muad'Dib! <laughs> We will call you Paul Muad'Dib. <laughs> he uh, is the Kwisatz Hatterach. <laughs> oh, the other thing I watched, I'm not going to talk that much about it, uh, but I did finally watch uh, The Cowboy and the Frenchman. Oh, yeah. Um, and the the one good part, this is not a one line, a, a one word, it's a two word delivery. Uh-huh. Uh, but Harry Dean Stanton uh, saying... Budweiser long necks. This is great. <laughs> I still think my favorite bit in the Cowboy and the Frenchman is um the the guys are being so racist to Hawk and then <laughs> Harry needs stand is like you're all being racist because you owe him twenty bucks or whatever it is. <laughs> and they give him the twenty bucks and and Michael Horace is just like, Thank you. <laughs> Um, or whatever. I, it's been so long since I've seen it now. You but. you described it to me, and I was imagining like basically Hawk. Uh huh. Like the character. No, basically, no, 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 no. It no, is. No, no. It is so much more. Racist. It is so much more racist. It is Michael Horse. I so in... I watched that, and I was like, oh, so he doesn't really have any issue with any of the stuff that they're telling him to do with Hawk, huh? <laughs> Yeah. He did that? Yeah, so... Oh, in, this is an improvement. In in The Cowboy and the Frenchman, which is the first project that Lynch and Michael Horse collaborated on, I think... It's also the first with Harry Dean Stanton. Yes, yes. Um, He's got moccasins, um, like, leather pants. He's not wearing a shirt, right? I don't think so. And then he's got, like, a, a headdress with a feather in it. Mm. And it's so racist. I mean... 
So the one I watched the the version where there's a thing with uh like a little interview with David Lynch before uh the actual like short plays um and he is the, he's basically describing how it got produced and it sounds like this he was in France for some reason and this French guy like really really wanted him to be one of the people um doing this like French as seen by and he just didn't want to do it and the guy kept like hounding him to do it um and so then he finally got this idea to just as he says do the two cliches do the mm-hmm. the the cliche of the french and the the cliche of the cowboy uh or like of the western uh and so he's trying to do like the western uh movie and then the like french movie and he's trying to do them as cliches but as part of him doing that it also means he's doing the stereotype mm-hmm. the stereotypes inherent in the western movie uh, and so it's just like a, because the whole thing is, I think he just doesn't care about this and he just has this, it'll just be funny to do a thing that's like, yeah, my right. version of as seen by is I'm just going to mash together two types of films and just like do them as the like most cliche version. Uh-huh. uh-huh uh, doing uh-huh. the most cliche version of Westerns means it's the most like cowboys and engines. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. You know? that like whole idea of what a Western is. Yeah. Uh, so that's what he's doing. And it, it is just like fully out of an old Western. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, compared to those old Westerns, I guess some of them did use like native American actors. Yeah. Like indigenous actors, but Le- less racist than some John Ford movies, but not less racist than as many John Ford movies as you'd like, you know, if you follow what I'm saying, like, yeah, <laughs> It's been a while since I've seen Stagecoach. Stagecoach is good. I haven't seen Might it. Might be racist, though. It's been a while since I've seen it. That's the caveat I'm putting here. I remember it being good, though. Yeah. I uh, I am tentatively thinking about... Yep. Can, can I tell you something that might surprise you? Yeah. Uh, so there's a sex worker in it. Uh-huh. But she's got a heart of gold. No. <laughs> I am tentatively thinking about um, trying to... So I've seen 35 movies on that sight and sound poll. I'm trying to get to all 100 by the end of 2023. Um, I'm certain that there's a John Ford movie on there. I don't know mm-hmm. that off the top of my head, but there's got to be a John Ford movie. Uh, John Ford filmography. I know I've seen The Searchers. I know I've seen uh, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. And I might have saw Stagecoach, but I think that's about it. Yeah. And it's been it's been a long time since I've seen either The Searchers or The Man Who Shot Liberty Balance. Might have saw True Grit when the True Grit remake came out. Um, I feel like there's just oh, Young Mr. Oh. Lincoln. I always forget that was him. I've seen I've seen The Grapes of Wrath. That's a pretty good movie. Yeah. Um, some The Fugitive. Different yeah. fugitive. <laughs> I Not just was doing a joke. The fugitive. Yeah, there's the searchers. Um, okay, I was trying to remember. He did how the West was won. Yeah. Oh, that movie's terrible. That um, movie's bad, bad. That movie's bad, 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 bad. This is directed by George Stevens, who I want to say did Three Ten to Yuma. Yeah, maybe. I remember liking Shane a lot, but it's he did Giant, which is that uh the one um James Dean movie that no one talks about. Yeah. 
Okay, he's got a lot more uh, where there's no article here. Page mm-hmm. does not exist. Um, Gunga Din, that's a beloved classic. He did not do 310 to Yuma, I don't think. No. Um, Annie Oakley. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Yeah. There's some of these, like, westerns from around that time. Anyway. Yeah, I was thinking, it's like, I think Shane's a little too... I mean, John Ford was technically... Mm-hmm. making movies then but i feel like it's kind of past his time yeah i um 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 um, um, um. i gotta go to the bathroom very badly very you suddenly go. i like westerns of this time a little bit but mostly my interest in westerns is like 60s stuff like the post this era you sort of watch stuff because i think it's it's like right on the cusp yeah i think you might find it interesting um now that she's gone, we can get into the to the dirt. I'm just gonna talk shit about Nia this whole time. No, um, what do I want to talk about? Nia had a little vamping, and now I have to. Yeah, I'm excited to try to watch through. Um, I I initially was like, I'm gonna watch all 65 movies that I haven't seen on the list. That might be ambitious, but like, M has seen 75, and or er, <coughs> Nia has M has seen 69. Am I getting that right? Emma's seen 55, and Nia has seen 69. And so I think Emma was like, well, I want to try and beat Nia. And so that sort of, like, readjusted my thought in my head to, oh, I'll just try to beat 55. You know, I don't need to watch all those movies. But I'm excited to try in 2022 to find a way to incorporate more long movies into my life you know um i watched a lot of movies this year did not watch i think any movies that were over three hours mostly because there's just not been a way for me to do that and um i want to try and take a swing at that uh over the next year um and i think that'll probably involve watching a lot of things in two sittings and I'm fine with that. I know some people who are like, no, I want to, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it. Um, I'm fine breaking up those longer movies over multiple sittings. So I'm just going to, I'm going to try and find a way to do that. And I want to try and find a way to, um, you know, just watch movies and enjoy them. I think, um, there was a couple months recently where I wasn't watching a ton of movies that we covered on stairwells, you know, of just like, I would show up and I watched like one movie um, and I think sometimes I can get in my own head and it can be a sort of anxiety inducing thing of like, well, I have to be watching movies so that I can develop, you know, my critical senses so that I can do the podcast good. And I, uh, the times when I enjoy movies the most are when it's a lower stakes thing. You know, I was enjoying my time doing all this research into the, of the dead stuff because, um, there was a connection to the podcast. I could sort of tell myself, oh, this is being productive by watching this stuff. But it didn't feel like a high stakes thing to me. And I want to take that energy of like, it's not high stakes. I'm just watching movies. I'm just trying to like, you know, fill time between me and the grave with entertaining things or, or, you know, educational things or whatever. Um... And I want to try and, like, take that and make it low stakes for watching long movies, too. Because I think I can get in my head about, ah, I couldn't possibly watch this four-hour movie. I have to be so, like, 
you know, alert and, and critical at all times. And I want to just be able to watch a four-hour movie and, like, let it wash over me in the way that I let a 90-minute movie wash over me, you know? Yeah. I was talking about the sight and sound poll, and, oh, I want to watch Jean Dielman, but, like, that's a three-hour movie about nothing, or a four-hour movie even, I think. Yeah. Um, And just, in the new year, trying to... It's very easy to just tell myself, oh, it's a 90-minute movie. I'm just going to let myself enjoy this and just, like, let it sort of happen to me. It's hard to do that with a three- or four-hour movie, and I think that's mostly a mindset thing for me. And I need to just, like, put things on, be okay with, like, oh, this is a three-hour movie. I might have to do this in two sittings, you know? And just, like, let let myself enjoy a thing, let a thing wash over me, and, you know, yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of the thing when we were way back talking about us doing the poll mm. that part of what I was thinking with the, the Jean Dielman thing is like, Oh, it's not like the thing about vertigo is that I don't think vertigo is like that dramatically different in terms of like the style of movie from something like Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is there, there's a different scope to it and things, but like neither of them are taking like significantly different approaches to what film is. is. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas it feels like Jean Dielman, and I haven't seen it, mm-hmm. it feels like it's a little bit more yeah, like something else. Yeah, it feels like it's challenging. There's like a different ethos behind it. Yes, yes. That's that's the that's what I yeah. want to say. This does... Chatting here did make me think that if we wanted to narrow the scope of the poll, and I don't think we do... But there is a sort of very easy way to do it, which is just to say the runtime of a submission has to be between 60 minutes and like 600 minutes. You know, if we if we wanted to do that, if we wanted to just limit it to movies, that would be a thing we could do. I I don't 600 minutes is 10 hours. I don't I don't want to do that, though. Yeah. Um, I will say that, you know, if you are voting for something that's an edge case, remember that this is a popularity contest and like, you know, your edge case just might not get as many votes as Citizen Kane does. Yeah. <laughs> or Blade Runner or whatever. Um, I mean, maybe lots of people will write in to say Plastic Love by Gargura. 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 So anyway, we're getting the beginning of Lucy being pregnant, and I'm, yeah. I'm so excited about the season two <laughs> uh, developments that are, that are going to come from this. Oh, this reminds me we have questions. Okay, let's do questions and be done. Anyway, yeah, I mean, it's tw- you got Twin Peaks talk from us. Yeah. It wasn't that much about the episodes, but that's why we're doing three is because we'll just talk more freewheeling about it rather than feeling like we need to talk about a specific episode and what happens in it. So I meant to send you all the questions we got in this chat, and I meant to do a questions post today, and then I got distracted by taking care of Sick Toddler. But So we got a question from M. We got a question from Nora, I recall. We got a question from Juo, and there might be more than that, but um, that's where we'll start. From M... What do you think Dick Tremaine is doing during season one? Swing for the fences. Mundane answers are the only wrong ones. Um, so what do we think Dick Tremaine is doing? 
I think when I first got this question, um, I had the thought of he's trying to get a woman pregnant in all 50 states. <laughs> that was just the first thing that popped into my mind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know why, but it did. Uh, what do you think? Mm, I mean, that's a good one. <laughs> And this, the reason like, I don't, he gets so I don't know caught how to... up in Lucy is that like he was working from um, east to west, and so he just got to Washington and stuck around in a way that he like hasn't stuck around for any of the other women. Yeah. Also, he has this like weird project in his head where he wants he he wants it to be one woman mm-hmm. in every state, mm-hmm. and so he needs to know. Is Lucy pregnant with my kid? Right. Because if she isn't, it doesn't count. I need to get a different woman pregnant. <laughs> um, I also just imagine him being the kind of guy who comes up with like a weird identity slash job for himself. Uh-huh. You know? Are you say, are you saying you know how people um joke I'm doing something for our next question while while I talk um so you know how people joke oh in the second Knives Out movie Daniel Craig should show up with a different accent and he should just have a different accent in every movie yeah are you saying that like during season one of Twin Peaks Dick Tremaine is involved with some other plot and he's just a different type of guy he's not like a posh irritating guy he's like. He's a big Ed type or something. He's like, yeah. dude, he's got a different gimmick. Yeah, he he just came from, you know, a, a, like he just came from California, where he was really playing up the the big Ed, like, you know, deader than a road <laughs> roadside stew, Paul Muad'Dib. Uh, and then he got to Twin Peaks, and he was like, well, fuck. Um. I will put on my ascot and <laughs> well, and also it was like he doesn't like change it ev- literally every place he goes. But he got there, he he drove into town, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He was doing this whole big Ed thing, drove into town, needed gas, stopped at the gas station. Who fucking comes up but Big Ed? He's like, well, fuck, they already got a Big Ed. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta come. The vibe of this town is they're not they're not gonna have some posh guy. I just right. got a new posh guy, right? Yeah, I think that's my my addendum to him fucking his way through every state and getting a woman pregnant is that also not every state, but periodically he just changes up the vibe, you know. Nora Nora asked us a question that she also asked repertory screenings that I asked her to forward to us because it was so good. Okay, I want you to look at each rating you use on Letterboxd and tell me what your favorite movie is for each star rating. Now you use. Um, half stars. Yes. And so I want you to just group those together. So group three and three and a half together. What is your favorite movie from each star rating? So what is your favorite movie that you've given one star, your favorite movie you've given two stars, etc.? Uh, so let's do... So I have here... There's a way you can do it where it's half and one star. I'm on my phone, so I'm going to have to do some scrolling to get down to one. Oh, I'm going to flip this. You're rating lowest first. What's my what's my favorite where I've done half to one star? Is it Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Mm, no, I don't think so. 
Is it Evangelion 3.0 plus 0.0 or 1.0? No. Um, I think Forrest Gump is the best movie on this list, uh, not having seen a couple of them. I don't know, man. I... I saw so I saw Forrest Gump so many fucking times because my mom loved that movie. It just like brung any chance of that being it for me. Did I say Forrest Gump? I meant to say it, Ferris Bueller. Fer, Ferris Bueller. I'm, I I don't yeah. know what I said. I don't know what you said. So it could be Ferris Bueller because I don't think Ferris Bueller is a good movie. Mm-hmm. But. We've talked about this. We could do a Breakfast Club at some point. I think Breakfast Club is a bad movie. Mm-hmm. There is a point at which the movie becomes really bad. Mm-hmm. And I always think, well, I'll rewatch it and I'll just stop it before I get to that point. And it always comes faster than I think. <laughs> it always just suddenly hits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I hate the movie. And I'm like, fuck this movie. <laughs> um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off is a movie it, differently than... Um, than Breakfast Club, but it was a movie where I think about it and I'm like, that's just a bad movie. I don't like that movie. Yeah. But also, every time I watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I'd be like, damn, yeah, I do love Chicago. I like living here. This is a cool city. <laughs> so every time I watch it, I'm just like, yeah, Chicago. Uh, but this might this is not even a movie. I feel like I'm cheating here. Mm-hmm. But I think my favorite thing on here is the regular OVA. I really didn't like the Ray Earth OVA, but also like Makona's in it. <laughs> like I like Hikaru. They they changed her style and it's not as good, but like I like her. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um I think for my one star answer I'm gonna go with Breathless. Um I thought about saying election because um election is a movie that I am quite fond of. That I have reevaluated in the light of Alexander Payne um, being a sex pest, um, to put it lightly, um, to put it very lightly, um, and some of the some of the like ideas and themes of election, some of the characterization um, is very different when you know about that, you know. Yeah. But um, so I don't I don't really want to say election is my favorite of the one star movies I have on here. I'm going to say breathless. Um, one, one of these days I'll watch breathless and like it, you know, someday, maybe. Yeah. Um, there's one on this one and a half to two star that I don't even know why I did two star because I like it more than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we I'm not going to say what one it is, but we are going to watch it next next year for something. Mm-hmm. And I'm probably going to have a fucking fun ass time. Yeah, I'm that's excited probably, about watching that. Yeah, you're probably going to bump that up to four stars. I'm gonna is my guess. Yeah, to such a degree where I already want to do it. But anyway, uh, so I'm not even gonna. I'm I'm giving that a free pass because I I think that the two star here is just erroneous. My two star on Letterboxd is a lot of things that I'm like, I watched that before I transition, and I don't feel good about how it's aged, but maybe. Uh, I would really like it now. Paprika is one. I like didn't like Paprika when I watched it, but like my taste has changed so much that maybe I'll like Paprika on revisiting. And it's also just a lot of bad movies like Eternals or Godzilla twenty, uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters, the twenty nineteen film. Um, mine is Kill Bill Volume One. Mm-hmm. I think it's a two star movie because I 
even the first time I saw it, I'd seen a bunch of, I'd seen Lady Snowblood mm-hmm. when when this movie came out. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, so yeah, I I don't actually like Kill Bill Volume One, but also I would watch Kill Bill Volume. If anyone was like, "Do you want to watch Kill Bill Volume One?" I'd be like, "Sure." I also have uh, that I have rated as two stars, uh, as one and a half stars. I have Volume Two. I know lots of people who like Volume Two more, but I'm just in it for the weird Japanese homages. That's like the the one thing I like about Kill Bill. So, uh huh. Volume uh, One, it is for me. I'm gonna go with Paprika here. Okay. That feels right. Three stars. Um. Let's see. Now that we're getting into good movies, I don't want to overthink this, Ooh. but my favorite three star movie. Um, Cynic Doce New York, another one that's like, haven't seen it in a long time. If I rewatched it, I'd probably give it five stars, but I just don't, like, I rated it three stars on Letterboxd because I was just like, I just don't know how I'm going to feel about it, you know? Yeah. But I I really loved it when I first watched it, and it, I only have it rated low on Letterboxd because I just don't know what I'd feel about it now. Um... I've got I've got a real so one there's a few Icelandic films on here that I think are are pretty good. Um, I have Skitanar on here. White Whales is the English uh, localization or whatever because that's not the literal translation. Um, it's just like a completely different title. Mm-hmm. But like I enjoy that movie. It's just nowhere near uh, Frederick Thorfinnsson's best movie. Um, I think I found my answer while you were talking just now. But I I think. So my current debate is between Satan's Princess, which does just have ridiculous moments. That's the one where the the uh, kid throws the woman out the window with his psychic power suddenly. Mm-hmm. That I like tweeted. Oh yeah, 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 um, yeah. And also where like the evil woman at the end just like loses her skin and is a bizarre demon running around. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That movie's fucking fun. But I think the the honest one. This like movie has like this weird place in my heart because I watched it and thought it was like just totally fine and serviceable. And then I watched the anime version of it and got irate about like the kind of um, your name weathering with you like romance anime that has to get this whole supernatural thing in. But the whole supernatural thing, it gets so like concerned about the the uh, rules of the supernatural thing that they've set up that it like ruins any actual interesting metaphor or anything you could do with it and it just becomes this like very tacky uh overly saccharine thing about like trying hard until you succeed or whatever instead of like what was actually interesting about fireworks we see them from the side or the bottom which is that like there's this bizarre there's this thing happening there where it doesn't matter which version you see of the events uh the the boy in that is just not prepared he's too young to be able to actually support the girl um, who he has this like crush on in a way that is going to help her. Mm-hmm. And so he can only envision one where he gets to be with her, mm-hmm. but not one where she actually gets any of the like support that she needs with her home life. But then also they fully explain away the, what seems to be implying a, uh, abuse in the, the anime as just being like an arranged marriage. She doesn't want to do and stuff. The anime is so bad, and it's just galvanized for me that, like, no, people should go watch Fireworks. We should see them from the side of the bottom, not the anime, the original made-for-TV movie. Um, so I think that's it. I think for me, um, it's Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Um, 
that movie's like weird and kind of not very good a lot. Like there's a there are like 20 minute stretches of that movie where I'm like this isn't very good. But I'll be damned when it's good. It's fucking good. There's those weirdos beneath the planet there are weird guys beneath the planet of the apes and then he sets off a nuke and the movie just ends very abruptly and there there's like good sci-fi bullshit in beneath the planet of the apes even though i think that like the movie doesn't really like cohere you know yeah um so four stars four stars i'm scrolling um <clears throat> Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, might be it. (laughs) I'm going to ponder this for a moment. I'm just kind of feeling dead air. Um, Double Indemnity might be it. Um, Oh, this is really easy. Uh, Four Stars is... um, There's a bunch of comfort movies in here, you know? And I don't have any movie that is more comfort movie than Hellboy. I've watched Hellboy a million times. Um, it's just like, I can just put it on and zone out. Um, it is just like the perfect, like mid aughts superhero movie for my brain. Um, it's Guillermo del Toro. It's Ron Perlman. It's, you know, a a character and a universe that I really care about. Um, and like, I don't think Hellboy is a great movie, but I think it's like a good movie. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think mine is Pasa Zierka which is a, a Polish film that's uh, really interesting. Um, it's about... Uh, so there's this, like, German woman on a, a cruise ship, um, and she's telling a story about what she did during the war that was like, oh, I was this uh, guard uh, for, like, a, a concentration camp, and, you know, here's this this prisoner woman. But, like, we had this re- relationship where we were both, like, antagonizing each other. And then as the film progresses, oh, and because of the, the production, all of the modern day stuff is just photos because the, the director died in the middle of making this and it shot all the, the like old footage or the memory footage. Um, but then she, you keep getting these like successive versions where she's, um, not just talking to a, like a random person on the boat as much, but like her husband and then like, you know, continuing to like, get become more and more interior and as that happens she's taking on more and more of the guilt of like the horrible things that she did mm-hmm. uh, and i just think it's a very fascinating movie for like the a thing about trying to like uh that the film believes very strongly that she is guilty but that it is also showing it through this way that i think can like take other audience members who might have some uh more complex like my my opa feelings around what happened during the war and like give space to like explore to what degree someone feels guilty for what happened mm-hmm. um so yeah it's a, a polish film but it's uh probably my favorite polish film it's fantastic um and pretty sure it's polish favorite five-star movie um i'm probably because this is like so easy to just like get hung up on for days, so I'm probably just gonna say in the mood for love. <laughs> yeah. I'm probably just gonna say I. If you ask me what my favorite movie is, I'm probably just gonna say in the mood for love, so I don't have to think about it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, this is uh, well, I told uh, Lisa Lisevich and Andre Monk. I think Andre Monk is one of them. Finished it. Um, I forget 
who it's been a while since I watched it and I've thought deeply about it. Um, but yeah, my five star is Sonatine. Yeah. Sonatine. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, was, it's was, the anime Nana. <laughs> it's so <laughs> showing up here. It's so funny the the ways that that episode shook out. Because I was doing that like top ten movies list that I, I mentioned earlier. Top ten. Did I say top two? Top ten. Okay, whatever. Um and Hanabi was like briefly on that list at like the number eleven spot. Or whatever, you know, like I was like narrowing it down and like Hanabi was almost on that list. And I'm just like, it's really funny because I think if you don't, I think if you listen to the episodes of Stairwells that we recorded, you would get the impression that I, like you, think that Soda Tine is one of the best movies ever made. And I do. But I think I like Hanabi better than Soda Tine. <laughs> yeah. I really, really like Hanabi. Lem, I need you to chill. Come here. Come here, baby. Come, here, Come sit on my lap. Um, okay. Are you ready? I have sent you... I sent you a thing. Here's what I did. As I posted in the Discord, and I said, I'm going to post any emails that we get here, but I have one special one from Juo that I will not reveal to you until we record. Juo has sent to me... And I, to- I told him this over email. This is the best email you've ever sent. And he said, I sometimes astonish myself with the wonders I can create. Parentheses, I did this while I was sick with a fever a few weeks ago and forgot to hit send for a while. Rate my Nana to Nana scale that I surely haven't made as an attack on Nia. Listeners, what we've got here, if I could make this image larger, that would be fantastic. Thank you, Gmail, for not letting me do this. Um, Gmail, what are you doing? You figure this out for me. <laughs> On the left side, we have Hachi. On the right side, we have Osaki. And between all of this, Zhuo has pasted the various so, characters of Twin Peaks, rating them on a scale of more Hachi to more Osaki. Yeah. Uh, this is, I don't think you've listened to the Paranoia Agent episodes. Uh-huh. Um... But um, I think it was actually Ina wrote in with, for all the characters, say whether they are a Hachi guy or a Nana O guy. Uh-huh. Um, and we were specifically talking about, like, who do they like? Uh-huh. So I think that's what this is in reference to, is not who are they most like, but who, which of these, do, which character do they, do they identify with more or like more, that kind of thing. Yeah. So let's just um, go down the run. Go down the line from left to right. These are the characters. Yeah. These are all season one so images. So we're gonna start Hachi. Yeah. So we've got Albert as the most Hachi. Albert loves Hachi. Yes. Albert loves Hachi. Shally. Sh- Shally. Uh, Shelly. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Shelly loves Hachi. Um, um. Shelly. So Albert loves Hachi because Hachi's just so like genki. Like she's just so like upbeat. Um, How much anime she, does Albert watch? A lot. A <laughs> lot of anime. Uh, Albert knows what it means. Albert knows what it, what I say, mean when I say that Hachi is Genki. Would you say unlimited anime? Yeah. Um, and uh, I think likes her because of like how, uh, you know, 
she she was somebody who would more embody the his uh like choice this non pacifism that root of it is love mm-hmm. whereas nana's gonna be more confrontational and things yeah um and in ways where like she will like punch someone you're really gonna Hachi's give me a gonna long answer someone. for all of these aren't you shelly likes hachi because hachi goes through this struggle of like uh like you know takumi is like abusive in mm-hmm. different ways than than um in more just like emotional ways but um and also has these like struggles around like wanting to have sex but then dealing with all of that mm-hmm. so this is a, a good pick um sarah wait is that sarah no that's I lucy would, i would really appreciate if uh Gmail would let me download an image. That would be fucking sick as shit. Oh, view image. Thank you. Um, it's not that much better. Still not Lucy. That much. Yeah, that's Lucy. I just saw curly hair and yeah, Lucy. That's that's a Hachi for obvious reasons. Same with Andy. Yeah, Lucy's Genki. I think I think Laura is more of an Osaki Nana gal. Yeah, this I is think, the first one I I disagree with. I think Laura is more. She's attracted to that dark side, you know, and. Hachi just doesn't have a dark side like uh, that. Also, uh, Laura is somebody who a lot of people view as a Hachi, mm. but she views herself as a Nana. Yes. A Nana O. Yes. You know? Um, Norma, however, and Maddie. Wait. Oh, is that Norma? I, I genuinely. It's, it doesn't help that you're tilting the good. image toward you. Oh, that's not Norma. That's um, that's Annie. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I could I could see Annie as a Hachi. Um, I could see Maddie as a Hachi. Mm-hmm. Josie, I think Josie might be a little bit nor- more Nana. Yeah, I think so too. We're I, we're getting. I toward... think you know, like a in like a in a way where she likes the girl boss of like I'm gonna kick over the mic stand and like uh huh you know. I'm going to, like, do my dreams. Mm-hmm. I think that's what she likes about Nana O. Now, we're kind of in the middle of the graph here, right? Yeah. I would say that Cooper is just left of middle, so he's just barely a Hachi person in Juo's conception, and Bobby is just barely a um, Osaki Nana. Um, yeah, I think Bobby's a little bit more Osaki Nana than yes. Cooper is Hachi. Yes. But I think I agree with these. Yeah. I think Cooper, I think Cooper appreciates both sides, but uh, would go more towards the Hachi side of things. Cooper would say, "I just appreciate the character drama more than you know rooting yeah. for one character." Um, likes all of the different uh, like love triangle stuff going on with Hachi. Yeah. Whereas Osaki, not as far more. You get a little bit with like uh, Yasu, but mostly yeah. is like with Ren, and then it has the whole. Cooper Cooper's favorite character is Yasu. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Even though he's not a Yasu, he wants to be. Yeah, totally. Um then we've got on the more uh, Osaki Nana side, we've got um Bobby. I think Bobby being close to the middle makes sense because he he's trying to project so much of a uh um Osaki Nana, but I think inside like you get to like season 3 and that's like that's where he admits that he really likes Hachi. Mm-hmm. But when he's a when he's a teen, he wouldn't admit it. Yeah. But he does really like Hachi. Truman, he's... Yeah, I can see him being more like, ooh, I like this rock and roll girl. 
you know, like very simplistic, like, oh, she's kind of punk. I like that. Yeah. Audrey, she's like, I'm exactly like Osaki. That's exactly. I would probably I would really put her even more over. (laughs) Yeah. Audrey. Audrey is like my life and Osaki Nana's life are just exactly alike. Yeah. We have everything in common, even though they have so little in common. Um, She like is trying to get the Vivian Westwood uh, gauntlet ring. Uh huh. Because she wants to wear it when she smokes because she thinks it'll look really cool. Uh huh. Yeah. Donna? Um, How are we feeling about Donna over here on the right side? I'm not sure. I'm, not... I'm deferring to you here because I feel I don't trust my instincts. I I think that she she washes it and maybe like identifies to some degree with like the the Hachi position, but I think Donna sees herself more as a, and you don't know this character yet, but uh-huh. more as like a, a Mew, uh-huh. uh, where she's like, I you know I I am like recognizing myself as someone who like. Um, has a certain amount of stability, like knows how to deal with the stresses. And I am like, have, I have concern towards, Mm -hmm. I I want to see Nana. Oh, achieve happiness. Mm -hmm. And she's very invested in that. Yeah. Um, also I think she is like weird. I could see her being someone who's weirdly hung up. on like, no, I don't like Hachi because of what she did. I'm just being mean to you for no reason. Uh, Doc Hayward. Doc Hayward. I think he just. I think he's like. Well, I like. I like Nana because my daughter likes Nana. I don't think he watches anime. Yeah, he doesn't watch anime. Yeah, but yeah, it's like. Oh yeah. Uh, that that one's named Nana. <laughs> he doesn't even know that they're both named Nana. You know, but he knows that his daughter likes Nana. And that's Nana. <laughs> She's the main character of the show Nana. Yeah. Yeah. James all the way here over by uh, Nana. Uh, that speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. Mike, this is an interesting placement. I think it's right, but I didn't even think about Mike here. Yeah. But I do think, yeah, I think it makes sense. Yeah, I just realized we finished season one. We've seen Bob once. The the Ren tattoo? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then all the way over, the most Osaki Nana is Briggs. See, Major Briggs is the most there is good in her motherfucker in human history. Any any character who is ever mean on screen, Major Briggs is like, there's good in her. Yeah. Um... I feel deeply for the difficulties that Nana O has dealt with in her life. (laughs) To be born without a father is a true tragedy. A fatherly presence. And to then, to then, and it pains me to say this, (laughs) to have her mother reject her so young. If only her grandmother could have been a a stalwart, steady presence in her life. (laughs) Not turn her back on her when she is uh, accused of harlotry. (laughs) 
but she does need someone to knock the cigarette out of her mouth. <laughs> anyway. It's a was there more in that, or was that just it? That was it. Uh, it was just you being like, this is the best you've ever sent us. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I can't believe you thought that I was going to just let that one go. What? Without going into detail about why I felt I the positions wa- were correct I knew, or not. I, I knew you, what you were going to do. I just wanted to give you shit the whole time. I just wanted to bother you. And I did do that. Well, where can people find you online? You can find me at FoxMomNia. That's my phone. Saying that we should go to bed soon. Um, Go listen to my other podcasts. Ghost Divers. We're starting our Kino's Journey um, season. So, that'll be fun. Uh, Joined by Kim. I'm excited for it. Uh, Go listen to Pondering Puton. Um... Just do it. it. Yeah. They're half hour episodes. Yeah. Do it. Um, and go listen to my new podcast, Around the Long Fire. You can find me on Twitter, at Autumnal underscore coffee. You can find me on co-host, at Autumnal. On co-host, I have been doing uh, weekly roundup posts of everything that's happening on the network. Um, so every podcast episode that comes out every week... I'm putting links to the free feeds, links to the Patreon posts, um, explanations of like what Patreon tier you need to be at to get certain things. And so that is going to be the easiest way to find all that information. Cohost.org slash autumnal. It is my pinned post. I've um, been doing those on Fridays or Saturdays whenever I find the time. Um, so yeah, really, people should check that out. People, you should... Uh, so, so, um, last, yesterday, I lost my train of thought there, but I'm back now. Yesterday, I put out a new episode of Coffee and Comic Books, exportodd.io slash comic books, or exportodd.io slash coffee, whichever you like. Uh, Coffee and Comic Books and Pardon My Franchise should now be on Apple Podcasts if people are looking for them there. Yes. Um, so, on, um... Coffee and Comic Books, the episode yesterday we did with Santo about Claudine. I thought that episode was really fucking good. I really liked how that episode came out. And then um, last night, Rick and I recorded um, our follow-up episode, uh, or not our follow-up, but the next episode, which is exclusive for $5 patrons, and that is about The Wintermen, the Wintermen by Brett Lewis and John Paul Leone. I think that's the best episode we've done yet. Um, and I think that if you... One, if you like the show that Ornate Stairwells is, Coffee and Comic Books is similar in a lot of ways, is different in a lot of fun ways, too. And I think our Wintermen episode is a lot of fun because we really get into the nitty-gritty of that comic book, and in doing so, we spiral out into, oh, we're going to talk about Walt Simonson, or we're going to talk about this other comics creator, oh, we're going to talk about this random Mobius Halo comic that Rick found. Like, we we ping-pong through the, like, Western comics industry of the last 20 years in a really fun way. I know some people who are, like, who hang around the Abnormal Mapping Network and are like, oh, I know a lot about manga, but I don't know anything about Western comics. I think we had a couple comments like, oh, this is my inroad to Western comics, you yeah. know? 
Um, and I think if you're enjoying that, you should really consider us giving us five dollars because I I think our Winterman episode really um delivers on that. I think that was a really good recording that we did. Uh, very happy with that episode. Also, you should just read the Winterman because it's truly one of the best comics I've read. Period. I put it as, at myself as someone who doesn't know about Western comics, but that's not true. I just that's specifically my my lane is like independent queer comics. I yeah. know a lot about that. Yeah. Um, tried to do some work in that area mm-hmm. once before I decided I didn't want to do it. It's a great way to not make money. Yeah. If you're in, but that. I have a lot of friends who who work in that. Yeah. People should go check out uh basically everything that's been done by Jesse Zabarski. Yeah, which is great work. Um, today I've been reading um a webcomic I didn't know before called Octopus Pie. I'll probably end up bringing that up on our next free episode of Coffee and Comic Books, which will come out probably in January. That... Rick, Rick, and I have toyed with the idea of bumping up the frequency, but this is a bad month to toy with that idea because yeah. of the holidays. <laughs> um, is Octopus Pie Meredith Graham? Yes. Okay. Yes, I've been reading. I'm uh, like. I I vaguely I met her once hmm. through friends. So. Yeah, I've been reading that today. Um, our next coffee and comic books is going to be about Jack Kirby's adaptation of 2001: A Space Odyssey, and then the ongoing series he did that kind of spun out of his adaptation. Uh, it's a weird thing. I've read about. I'm about halfway through his adaptation, and that's a weird thing. Um, so I can't imagine how. Hey, Jack Kirby, just go write a sequel to 2001 A Space Odyssey. Can't imagine where that goes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on the topic of uh, Joe's question and then also comic books, uh, I think I mentioned this earlier, but the so on Ghost Divers, I've decided we, we do a New Year special every year. Uh, we kind of look back at the previous year. There's some fun stuff we do about around that. And then we do like a, a different piece of media that we bring. Um this year, I'm having Connor read all of the manga Nana. So, uh, if people have read ma- the manga Nana and have questions about it that they want to send in to that New Year special, um, I think we're going to record the 17th, like the Saturday when you're hearing this in the the Patreon feed. Yeah. So, if you're hearing this in the free feed, you may have missed it unless uh, Connor and I we're not able to finish it on time mm-hmm. one or both of us. Uh, and then there's a day we might push it back to you, but it's not ideal. So, um, last but not least next week, you might think, Oh, now they're going to do wild heart. I found out recently. You've never seen die hard. Maybe I've seen it. You've never seen die hard. It's hard for me to like, I wonder if I put that. I, I saw it on letterboxd. Cause it's one of those movies that like, I don't think I've seen, but also I could see moments where I think that I've seen it because I've seen stuff parodying it and from the, it and everything the, so much. The no, ideal ver- I don't even have a log on Letterboxd. Yeah. The, the ideal version of this is... Um, like, I know what Die Hard is. I just don't think I've ever seen it. The ideal version of this is that we you find out, much like I did with our first episode of last year, Police Story, and it's like, oh, I have seen this, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we get a little bit into Die Hard and you're like, oh, I did see this. But I said, now I have a machine gun, ho, 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 and you didn't get it. And so we're watching Die Hard next week. Also, it's my favorite Christmas movie, and Nora doesn't want to watch it with me. So you and me are watching Die Hard, because I need somebody to watch Die Hard with me. 
And last year we did do my favorite Christmas movie. So. Yeah. So um, um, I'll probably rewatch Tokyo Godfather soon. And then when I'm have free time. And then after Die Hard, we will do a looking back on 2022 for us. Yeah. I just um, don't even know how we can get in watching something and then recording that week. Cause, yeah, it's just going to be a crazy week. You're going to be gone a bunch. And so if we are able to record a podcast in like the last week of the year. Um, I will say pretty definitively, we're recording that December 21st. Oh, yeah. So we're we're both free. Uh, we'll probably be hanging out some that day because I have off work. Mm. Uh, after that, I'm leaving for like the next day. I leave for Michigan. Right. So, um, we just have planned. We're recording that night. Yeah. So, uh, if people want to send in just like broad, you know, looking back at the year. Yeah. Whether of stairwells or whatever. Whether it's uh. Your enjoyment of stairwells or your not enjoyment of stairwells. I don't know, whatever. Um, or your own journey with movies this year. I'd love to hear. So we're going to talk about, I went and ranked. Or like questions for us about the year, those sorts of things too. Yeah. I went and ranked all the movies I saw for the first time in 2022. I think you just made a top 20, right? Well, I th- what are we doing 15? Yeah, I think so. So the reason why I did 20 is because I have it. We did 10 last year, and mm-hmm. I set those 10 as my stats in Letterbox. If I go look at stats for the year, it lists those ones. So if I go to, like, uh, 2021, here we go. Top 10 films I saw for the first time in 2021. Mm-hmm. If I do 15, it'll still show those, but then there's, like, five blank spots, like, very obvious blank spots. So uh-huh. I just filled them in. Yeah. But I'm not going to talk about them on the podcast. We'll just do the 15. I do have one honorable mention. Um, so yeah, I ranked I ranked all the movies I saw in 2022. You did a top 20. We will go through those lists. And if you listeners want to send us a list of... Please don't send us your top 10 or 15. Please, if you're sending us a list, um, send us like a top 5 that you saw for the first time this year. Yeah. Um, or or send us the whole list, but I'll only read the top five if I'm going through listener yeah. lists. Or if we get a bunch, we might even just do people's top one or something. Yeah, like we'll figure it out. Yeah, but yeah. So if you want to think about your journey through movies this year, the podcast journey through movies this year, um, feel free to hit us up on the podcast for that. Can you go to this page for me? Because I think I set this. Um. No, 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 not. Can no, you go- I, I, I'm specifically editing this because I'm just looking at this and I'm okay. like, no, it's the Mad Fox. It's the Mad Fox. I'm like, I, I totally changed it. Anyway. Go go to my page because I did. I tried to do this on my phone, the thing where you set like the banner on your stats page. um, And I don't know that I actually managed to do it right. Can I just look at your stat? I didn't even know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Paris, Texas. Um, I mean, people can spoil themselves in Morris, but I, I'm not going to look too f- much at this because it's... it's not a fucking spoiler to say Paris, Texas is my favorite movie I saw for the first time this year. Everybody fucking knows that. <laughs> and, you know, but it'll be fun to talk oh, through yeah. all of them on the podcast. Yeah, totally, totally. totally. Um, well, yeah, that just about does it for us. Another three-hour episode. What the fuck? I mean, 
255, but once we put it down, we'll go see. Okokoro is real. Okokoro is real. Bella Lugos is dead. 
Actually, I had a, I had a cup of tea, thank you for the tea, um, but now I feel dehydrated, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's the, the bind of tea. I feel like it's, it's better than coffee, though. I, I drink coffee, and I'm just like, oh, I just, that was good, but I did a little bit of damage to my body. Yeah. Tea, I never feel like that same way, but it also does not hydrate you in the way that your brain thinks when you're going, ooh, liquid. I'm I'm annoyed because as soon as I stood up, I realized not only do I feel a little dehydrated, but I also have to pee really bad. So I'll uh, be a minute. Tea will do that to you. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway. I guess I'll vamp. Mom's going off to... to Go to the bathroom and get water. Um, oh, one thing. Uh, so when we were in the ER, uh, extremely stressed, um, we were just like, let's just like do something uh, like stupid and frivolous. But just th- this is me and my wife, Emily, uh, just to like we're here we're stressed uh this is like a bad fucking night um and so she ordered some some wool sweatpants uh that i guess she has a pair that they're really comfortable um but not cheap because wool's not cheap um and i ordered and then it came much faster than it sometimes does um i ordered the master grade cubely so i'm excited to build that um but it's funny, it came the day before Emily's birthday, because Thursday was also her birthday in the middle of all of this. Um, and so the box came, and she thought it would be very funny and wanted me to send to some of my friends uh, a video of her being like, oh, I can't believe you got me this for my birthday uh, from New Type," uh, And then opening it up and, you know, being like, oh, trying to read the box and figure out how to say cubely and stuff. Um, she thought it was hilarious. She wanted me to share it with everybody. Um, but anyway, uh, because of that, we were recording that while my toddler was, was, uh, awake. It was like before my toddler's bedtime. Um, and so they heard like this conversation of like, oh, for my birthday and everything. So now they continue to refer to the Cubely as, uh, mommy's Gundam. Uh, cause I'm mama, Emily's mommy. So it's mommy's Gundam. Um, and my Tyler keeps being like, when can we build mommy's Gundam? Um, and I'm like, but I, I want to like, cause right now I'm building the, the Hyakushiki. I haven't made any progress in it because of all the stress stuff. But, um, yeah, but I'm excited to build it after the, the Hyakushiki. Uh, this is my little gunpla corner. Um, anyway, the, oh, Emily's birthday. I'm, I'm in the middle of all this. Emily and I are feeling sick. Um, we we've like caught the RSV, which is pretty much unavoidable when you're in the same uh, space for for days on end with a, a toddler who has RSV. Because um, the other thing about toddlers is uh, even if they wear masks and stuff, they love to just like touch your face, put their hands in their mouth, and then touch your face. Um, they always want you to like eat the food. They t- they'll take a bite of food and then hand it to you and want you to eat it. And you can say no, but they, this still just happens constantly. Uh, toddlers are just vectors of disease. Um, but we did still, uh, get some, some Korean fried chicken takeout. So that was really good. Um, 
but uh yeah it was funny we were we were feeling worse i think yesterday um and so we barely ate any of it uh so and we ordered like a little bit like more than we normally would when we're ordering takeout uh normally we would get like two different flavors of wings um and we decided to get three different flavors just to live it up a little bit and that means like a you know a half extra uh and then we did not eat the amount that we would normally eat um which means that uh when autumn came over to then help watch my toddler we then uh i just reheated all the chicken in the oven um and it was just like enough for all of us to eat Uh, so that was fun um but yeah thankfully uh because what what she wanted for her birthday she always likes going to like nice restaurants um and we're starting to finally get to the point where like let's go we try to go uh close to when it's closing because usually it's a little bit quieter in there um so there's not quite as many people we're hopefully a little bit further away from like a crowd um that kind of stuff but um yeah she she initially had the reservation for uh the 7th which is wednesday um and then she realized that she has a class on wednesdays so she didn't want to um, she didn't want to have to go to, or like leave that early to then go to the, the dinner reservation. So it's for next week, like next Friday or something, which there is not, is. which is not helping with me feeling a little stressed. Oh yeah. There's your water bottle. Yeah. I um, use a mug because I was like, I can't find the usual one I use, which probably means it's in this room. And there yeah. it is. Um, cause Saturday is when I have to do the Nana podcast which i'm excited for um but uh yeah so so we'll we'll hopefully feel better by the time it's like her what she wants for her birthday which is to go to a nice dinner yeah my laundry's in here well it's not that i don't care that your laundry's in here oh it's that something is stuck on the chair and i don't want to accidentally rip it it's not stuck on the chair it's stuck in the carpet yeah just it's like very stuck in the carpet um this is just wild audio i think i'm gonna try and cut some of this stuff and put it in the uh non-homophobic zone yeah that was probably really unpleasant to listen to um but anyway there's some other thing i was gonna say oh this is just me i'm gonna say this on this because i don't when the people will know this when the new year special goes out, but, um, cause Connor also started reading Nana around the time I was reading it. And the last time we recorded Putan, um, we very briefly talked about it and Connor had like basically just started, um, and was like, you know, Oh yeah. There like something happened in the first volume where he knew that he was going to like this book. Hmm. And I don't know what that is. And then after that, he's just been like, I'm not going to talk to you at all about it until the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just like very curious. He's going to come in guns blazing like Nana sucks. Yeah, I don't know. 